0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 43 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. As always, I'm Trevor Dame. As always, he's Matt Feuerstein. Matt, it's been a while, but as you were just telling me off air, we still got it in in February, unless this episode gets delayed in posting like 20 days for some weird reason, or... We're recording this on the 22nd. It'll so. be, it'll be, you would need seven days of delay. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah I, I, I exaggerated too much. But yeah, it's been a not a great month for some of us, but it's been hectic. <laughs> but we, we're through it. We're here. We're through the month, which is our spinoff podcast where we <laughs> talk about our medical ailments and our fears and anxieties. And yeah. th- that, that's a once, also a once a month show.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, it would probably be pretty compelling to hear two um, two white men living in uh, rich Western countries complain about their uh, their their problems. Definitely, everyone wants to hear it, right? Um, but uh, but um, until then, I guess we just got to talk about Ring of Honor.
0: Matt, you well. Forget about Ring of modern, Matt. You won't believe it. They had these raspberries. I really liked on sale for two ninety nine. They put them out of stock. The second the sale ended and went back to four ninety nine. They're back in stock. Like, if that isn't one of the biggest tragedies of modern Western civilization, I I it's don't a, know what it's. Meant. It's literally
1: a first world problem.
0: <laughs> okay, but uh, a first world problem you won't have is a lack of good quality wrestling audio content to listen to if you subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, the network we are on right now. Um, so many good shows. I always like to point out one, but the one I've been pointing out a lot lately is the Pro Wrestling Super Show, which I'm going to have to do again because, Matt, you are on it again for an episode where you guys debate the best gimmick match.
1: I am officially a regular on that show, a a panelist, you might say. Like it was... Um, I don't know, the McLaughlin group. Just call I, me Just call me Clarence Page. Do not call me Pat Buchanan.
0: <laughs> I was going to say the only one I know is Pat M- Do <laughs> Buchanan. Not. The SNL skits. Do so, not. Do uh, not. But we also have another thing to plug, which is, Matt, you were on the five-star match game, our old friend Joe Gagne's uh, wrestling quiz show with our friend jo- uh, Justin Shapiro and Andrew Rich, who hosts the great music of the Matt podcast, and... Yeah, you. Uh, I won't give away the results, but I think fans of the show should definitely listen to that, too.
1: Yay! Uh, what happened? I don't know.
0: Listen. <laughs> no spoilers, but I mean, look, whether Matt wins or loses, or a three-way tie happens, with no tiebreaker, because that's the way Joe runs things, he's a, he's a hard... If, if so many of the episodes end in ties. People who don't listen to the show don't realize that he just, he gets, he just goes, Look! I can't even ask another question. I have no follow-ups. This is what I've got. If the score is tied, it's an unsatisfying ending. No rematch. That's it. He's actually you know plan. He's
1: actually planning on renaming it the
0: five-star tie game.
1: Five <laughs> tie. Also- five tie match game. Oh yes, that's true. Also, five-star ties.
0: Love that in details, but uh, so yeah, th- those are the shows. And Matt, it's kind of crazy that like. Um, We've, you know, I think the thing we always do with this show is we do it when we have time, when we feel like it, which is, it's a show we always say it's not time sensitive, it's evergreen, as they say, and so we we don't charge, we won't ever charge for it, and so hopefully the one thing we can promise is we're doing this when we're enthused about it and we're not burning ourselves out on it, but it is kind of amazing that we've slowed a little bit on it, and so now, like... You're probably going to do more episodes of the Pro Wrestling Super Show this year, or in in, in a certain time frame than of this show, which is your show.
1: Uh, and, uh, I I I don't think that's going to happen, but because um we we're about we're about every two months on that show. Although you're right, there was three months in a row. Now that you mention it, so uh, but we're, we did we didn't do one in February, but I think we we do have another one planned for March. So uh, so stay tuned.
0: And, and likewise, I you know like a show like an honorable mention, which. Uh, he covers Ring of Honor. I, they started after us. We're like we're on episode forty-three. I think they're well over a hundred now. So.
1: They they record literally every week and do yeah. bonus Patreon content. And um, yeah, listen, we're just we're just not that good. We're not such good people. So that's the that's the main. Th- at least speaking for myself. So that that's really the main thing you have to know about this show. We're just I'm just I'm just not that good of a person. So I cannot promise you the content with the frequency that you deserve it.
0: Yeah, they're the machines. We're like putting out this handcrafted zine that when we can get around to it. What we're covering today is Ring of Honor Reborn completion. But before we get to that, we're not going to cover this show, but there was an afternoon show on the day of this event called Do or Die 3. Uh, Ring of Honor put out a DVD with both it and the Do or Die 2 pre show that happened in 2003. Uh, that's. Like every Ring of Honor release, long out of print. Although I see you can get it on eBay for ten bucks right now, plus shipping. Um, we'll run down the card. I'll note that it took place at the Rex Place, which is the same thing that the main show will run at, in front of a reported crowd of four hundred people with tickets at five dollars a head. Uh, the card was: the Outcast Killers beat Gabe Roach and Mike Fox in four eleven. Daisy Hayes beat Alice in Danger in four twenty eight. The Ring Crew Express beat our old friends at the Texas Wrestling Academy, Don Juan, and I believe one we haven't seen in Ring of Honor, Jared Steele in 617. Uh, Tony Kazina defeated Angel Dust in 812. Rain Man defeated Sean Divari in 756. Uh, Colt Cabana beat the Christopher Street Connection in a two- on a two-on-one handicap match in 504. Then Colt Cabana wrestled Caprice Coleman, current Ring of Honor commentator, beat him in 812. Matt Seidel beat Delirious in 1301
1: uh, a, n- a, ne- a never before seen match and I never again seen match between those two
0: <laughs> definitely not like a touring match they did ad nauseum all over the place nope uh Brian Gamble and Joshua Masters went to a no contest in 447 when a uh, homicide hit the ring and destroyed both guys. So great little showcase for them. And then your main event was Josh Daniels defeating B-Boy in 1007. So we should, I should note that on the DVD release for Ring of Honor Reborn completion, uh, it was a double DVD set, and because they had some extra time, they actually put the Seidel-Delirious match and the Daniels-B-Boy match at the end of the DVD as, like, an extra bonus. um, Because this DVD was already, like, a longer-than-normal show, and we usually don't cover pre-matches anyway, I did not watch those matches and will not be covering them. <laughs> nor, did I, nor did I. This was a very long <laughs> show. Yes, but just to let people know, if if that is if you listen to this and decide to go out and get the DVD, you are getting like another extra couple matches on top of um, a longer-than-average show on a double DVD set. So in terms of just amount of content, depending on the price you get this for, it's a good pick for that, if nothing else. But was it a good pick for anything else? We are about to find out, because the show today... Is Ring of Honor Reborn Completion, which took place July seventeenth, two 2004, at the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey, in front of a reported crowd of 825 people, so a little over double who went to the pre-show, apparently. And Um, clearly,
1: noticeably, less people than at the last show at the Rexplex. Like, you could see a lot more empty spots in the bleachers as you watched.
0: And and it's something we will get into in the next couple of shows, but uh, Ring of Honor had a double shot in the Midwest the following week so that'll be our two next episodes and i'm i'm saving that more of that information for those episodes but i believe ring of honor was hoping to draw three thousand people between the three shows and they do not come close to that so and this is the, i think this is the best crowd of the three i think maybe i don't i forget what chicago does but we'll we'll find out when it happens
1: but yeah it's interesting times for ROH because in some ways it's a lot of good stuff happening and in some ways a lot of disappointing stuff
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, PW Insider wrote at the time, it appeared the crowd for 717 was in the 800 range. I'm Just to note, I'm using the, as always, just to be consistent, the observer range, the numbers, which who knows if they're always right. But I always just try and stay with a consistent one source. So when I compare them, I'm always comparing to the same source. Uh, Ring of Honor officials were ecstatic because they did tremendous merchandise sales at the show. The promotion felt that it was due to the amount of new Ring of Honor releases they had available and the addition of new products such as Ohio Valley wrestling tapes and DVDs. Ring of Honor's online ordering is set so any merchandise ordered before 3 p.m. is mailed the same business date, which has been getting raves from online fans. And in fact, in The Observer at that time, they also – The Observer wrote – Business for Ring of Honor has been hot for the opening of the new company in video sales as they've gotten the taste released with a far quicker turnaround, which was the big problem. So Ring of Honor is definitely getting the word out that, like, look, we're away from Rob. The service is better. I believe when I was looking, doing research for the show, there was even a thing in the newswire that was like someone from Britain ordered a DVD from us, and they said they got it within a week. Like they were really pushing. Like, look, it's not going to be slow like it was before. They
1: said it on commentary even on this show that if someone from Britain ordered it, and they were mentioning the whole three PM thing. I wonder how long that three PM thing stayed in effect because I don't think it was for uh, forever, but maybe not. Maybe it was. I don't. I don't remember too well because um, I, I, I do remember I live you know pretty close to philadelphia relatively speaking and i um i got my dvds usually pretty quickly except for the newest of new releases sometimes you know maybe they just weren't available yet when i ordered them
0: Uh, yeah i ordered obviously being west coast canadian my shipping times were worse but i never felt they were that bad and the one time they got the order wrong they got a replacement free of charge without asking questions i actually feel like maybe one of the reasons like or maybe i'm just putting too much of my own personal experience in here. But I know this was the era I started buying Ring of Honor DVDs regularly because before this, I had heard enough bad things about both Rob Feinstein and RF video service and quality that I was kind of scared. And so once after probably a month or two after this, once I really got word that like, oh, people are saying good things about this. Obviously, as you can tell from this reporting here, they were getting out news, certainly news out to the newsletters at this time that like, look, Sales are good. People are happy. The shipping's quicker. And yeah, yeah I, I believe that a lot of people are like, why did sales pick up just because Rob left? But I feel people forget if you didn't come up from that time that our video did kind of have a bad reputation that I don't think our ROH video really had.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with all that.
0: Um, and finally, the last little newswire I think we should get to. This is something that doesn't ha- isn't shown on the show. And it's another thing we'll get to a few shows down the line. But Ring of Honor had this thing they were plugging for the show. I'll just go to the Ring of Honor Newswire on July 16th, which they said Dave Prazak, because Dave Prazak was working the show as a backstage uh, commenta- uh interviewer, I think, or he said uh, Dave Prais Prez- or maybe just bring it out. I forget what he was. He was at the show. But anyway, Dave Prezak's announcement tomorrow night at the Rexplex isn't what anyone expects. And so if you're wondering what it was, what was the announcement, if you're wondering, if you're reading old news wires like me on archive.com, what the announcement was was that Mick Foley would be making his Ring of Honor debut at the next New Jersey show, which would have been uh, Glory by Honor 3, I believe. And they said, uh, we'll get into this on, on that show, but I believe they said it was the fastest tickets ever moved was at this show, up to this point, was at this show during intermission when, when or whenever, when they announced that Mick Foley was coming. Apparently that was like the biggest run on tickets they've ever had at a show when they've announced the next show.
1: That's it's so interesting. Times have really changed because like – I don't know if there's anything that could happen now at an indie show like that would be equivalent, you know, of like a retired, you know, recent stars just showing up in an event, you know, like, would you think, I mean, do you think that could happen now too, where that would cause big movement in tickets? I'm
0: not sure. I don't think there's as much of a divide between um, like veterans and indie guys. They mingle a lot more often now. And even a lot of times, you know, there's a whole cottage industry, especially around like WrestleMania season of booking like. The aging veterans in actual matches, right in matches, yeah. Like, like I was thinking just to actually earlier today, I was going to bring this up. Like, it, I think a good way to and and it's a bit of an apples so and no oranges comparison, but a way to show you how much wrestling has changed and what we're talking about is a few shows from now. This in two thousand four for for Ring of Honor, they're going to do a big show built around a Midnight Express reunion, and it's gonna, They're even going to call the show Midnight Express reunion, and it's literally just going to be the guys getting in the ring. You know, having a segment and having a, a reunion. Where nowadays, cut to like tw- fifteen years later, the rock and roll express, their contemporaries are not only still wrestling; they're like wrestling LAX and New Japan top, like current generation stars. Right, now, right, right. Like, like w- what was what was a time for wrestlers mingling back then? Nowadays, we just expect you. Well, they're going to wrestle them, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. I was well, as you were talking though, I was thinking about like examples. Like, I guess. If they had like, if an indie like said CM Punk was going to be on a show, that would probably move tickets, right? Or, um, yeah. or like, you know, like the biggest movie star in the world, like, right, like the Rock or like John Cena or someone like that. But so, I, I guess that that probably would still work. Now that I think about it, like, if 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 if, if, if like PWG even was like on the next show, like John Cena is going to be here. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I think it would have an effect on uh, interest, right?
0: Yeah, I I mean, definitely. I think there would be – I think a guy like that, especially because he doesn't really fit in, like it's a guy you would never expect. But yeah, any any major star – I'm trying to think of someone that wouldn't. Like how low on the WWE totem pole would you have to go before they wouldn't make like a noticeable increase in buzz? Like, well,
1: like, well, like I don't know, like how big of a deal, like, like Dolph Ziggler. but like I don't, I, I don't know how much, how big of a deal, like Kane or the Big Show would make. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're stars, definitely, but like, would they? Would people, uh, fans of those promotions, like go out of their way to go just because one of them was going to be there? Probably not, right?
0: No, although I do think there would be more increased curiosity from the people. That were already going to PWG shows But I don't think you'd get something like Ring of Honor had in 2003 When they announced Jeff Hardy And all of a sudden not only do they draw a record crowd But you hear a bunch more screaming female voices That you never hear on another Ring of Honor show Like I don't Right, right Going to your point Yeah, you wouldn't hear There would not be a bunch of diehard Kane fans That went to the first (laughs) PWG show Just to see him Just
1: to scream when he takes off his shirt
0: (laughs) Just hoping desperately that PWG sprung for like Pyro
1: Major Jacob. (laughs)
0: Um, I love your politics, Glenn. You wouldn't hear that probably. Well, I don't know. California is pretty split. Um, but yeah. So that's the news for the show. Let's get to the show proper. Uh, we start with Sugar Sean Price backstage with Samoa Joe. Show wonders why we haven't seen a Samoa Joe's ring segment in a while. Uh, Joe says when you're feuding with a guy like Homicide that pushes you too far, it's it's, fa- it's hard to convince people to step in the ring with you. Uh, then Joe says people many people tonight are calling his match tonight the biggest six-man tag in the history of Ring of Honor. Uh, Joe puts over his partners, the Briscoes, as two tough sons of bitches who wrestled him in the past and survived. And says tonight will be the biggest war ever in the Ring of Honor ring. Uh,
1: He said said, this will be the biggest war ever to set foot in that ring. And I'm like, do wars set foot in places? But hey, it's it's personification.
0: Also, I was like, you're selling this a little too hard, Joe. Like, I know what this match is. Yeah, yeah. uh, But... Gabe says, cut from behind the camera, and we get our usual ring of honor. Oh, the promo's over, but the camera keeps rolling thing. This is where you get Uh, to see
1: the real shit, you know what I mean?
0: Exactly. (laughs) And at this point, Hydro walks in. Uh, Hydro says, people were telling me that you wanted to see me, Joe. Uh, Joe says Hydro is one of those special K-clowns, and he asks Hydro if he likes to party. Hydro smiles. He says, yeah, I do. And Joe tells him his problem is he doesn't party like a champion. Joe at this point grabs Hydro. He gets very intense by the neck, and he pushes him against the wall. And Joe says he isn't going to lie. Hydro has skills, but if he wants to get serious and to do it like the champions do, he needs to cut out all the bullshit. Uh, Joe asks him, "What kind of name is Hydro?" Everyone knows that the outdoor stuff is the best, anyway. Joe then says, "But Hydro, you'll never know that unless you get your act together." At this point, Matt, in my notes, I wrote, "Wait, Joe is telling is saying Hydro <laughs> never know that outdoor grown marijuana is better than hydroponic grown marijuana unless he takes pro wrestling more seriously." <laughs> question
1: mark. Because that's because that's only something that champs know.
0: <laughs> they, Only champs can afford the small price difference yeah. in outdoor grown marijuana. I, I, I know
1: nothing about the difference between the prices of those products, Trevor. Just, letting, just so you know.
0: I, I live in British Columbia, so I have to know regardless of whether I ever have smoked it or not. But uh, <laughs> Anyway, Hydro nods his head, and Joe tells him to have fun in the ring, but remember what he said, and most importantly, don't ruin what you've got. Uh, Joe then leaves Hydro to reflect on all of that, so... That's the segment – so basically we're entering phase two of the Hydro push, which is phase one was just showing him still part of Special K, but kind of taking his matches more seriously and not wanting to party. Phase two is basically we're entering, which is he's going to ditch the Hydro name tonight, go to Jay Lethal like he was elsewhere on the indies, and basically start to become – I don't know what you would say, Joe's protege,
1: I guess? Protege, yeah. Then they literally call him that. But I I do think it's kind of funny though because – Basically, the angle goes like this. Joe goes up to Hydro. He's like, you got to change your ways. You know, you, you don't party like a champ. you got to take it seriously. And basically, Hydro just goes, okay, and immediately changes everything that very same night. Like, doesn't – doesn't no consternation involved. It's just like next time we see him, he's Jay Lethal wearing Jay Lethal clothes, acting like Jay Lethal. I, I think that's – a little bit funny. Like it's like kind of rushed. I mean, not that it really matters that much. Not like I'm like, man, this angle would have been so much better if they built the J Lethal anticipation. But it's still funny, just that like Joe like gives him this big talk and it's just like instant. Like he's just he's just J Lethal now.
0: I um this this is obviously way too soon in the timeline, but I was thinking today, it would have been hilarious if then Hydro tonight came out was like I'm gonna be myself. I'm gonna be like a chap. And then he came out as black machismo. <laughs> and then Joe, Jay, Joe was like, that's what I was looking for, kid. And there's like a single tear rolling down his eye. Like, I can dig it now.
1: I think if Jay Lethal knew that he had that in him, uh, he probably – they probably they possibly could have done that.
0: <laughs> if, if Jay Lethal came out today as black machismo, he honestly might never revert back to Jay Lethal because I think there's such more of a market for these kind of comedy gimmicks. Like he would have his own black machismo – Machismo themed WrestleMania weekend indie show this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yes, I'd say <laughs> black, with, Machi- we're, black machismo's macho every- elbow party. Ooh yeah, twenty twenty.
0: <laughs> black machismo's mo cheese bro nacho macho macho nacho party is what I came up with. Well,
1: yours is much better. So, <laughs> I
0: bear- I I was either having a stroke or coming up with something. But um, oh yeah, dig it. Um, So the other thing I I guess we should note before we get to the first match is, since this this was a double disc set, Ring of Honor does what they often do for double disc sets, which is they fill up the extra time with a ton of recap clips from other shows, and that happened a lot between these shows, so for this time it's basically a lot of what's occurred in the last, I guess in the reborn era of Ring of Honor, the last few months, and... We won't be covering any of those just because we've already covered all those actual matches and segments on other shows, so there's no point. But just to let you know, again, that's another thing that kind of beefs up this release to a double disc set. And that brings us to our opening match of the official card, Generation Next of Jack Evans and Roderick Strong defeat Special K of Dixie and Izzy, who are scored to the ring with Angel Dust, Becky Bayless, Cheech, and Hijinx. They win an 859 when Evans pinned Izzy after hitting a 630. And I guess, Matt, before I throw it over to you, one thing I found doing research for the show that I either didn't know or forgot was there was actually a time where this match almost didn't happen. As we'll go to the Ring of Honor Newswire, which wrote, due to a transportation error, Jack Evans will not be able to make this Saturday's event. We apologize for the lineup change. Evans will be at death before dishonor. And uh, which is the next weekend of a double shot shows generation next is said to be furious at Evans. It will now be Roderick strong versus Izzy on Saturday in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And then the day before the show, the ring of honor newswire goes again. Jack Evans is back on for tomorrow's show at the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey. It will be Evans and strong versus special K. Uh, This is a very important match for Special K, who have been in a terrible slump since losing Scramble Cage 2 on March 13th. Special K might even be in jeopardy of losing their spots. And there's been growing dissension in the group. It's even questionable as to whether Hydro is even a part of the faction anymore. Meanwhile, Generation X is putting the pressure on Evans to score the victory. So... We all. I, I don't know, Matt. If this was the very first time ever Jack Evans and Roderick Strong teamed up, it was in Ring of Honor as a dedicated tag team. But we, it's, it's interesting that we almost didn't get it. But whatever transportation problems there were, they got fixed.
1: Yeah, and um, it's the beginning. I think you know they're a pretty legendary tag team in early ROH history. I don't think they teamed together just the two of them like a lot, a lot of times. You know, maybe like a du- like ten or less, but. Um, probably less actually but they you know every time they did it was pretty memorable
0: yeah what did you think about this match i um this is is kind of notable for what happens to one of their opponents i would say
1: yeah well okay so as far as like a showcase um this was pretty good like for in terms of the you know evans and strong they got to debut a bunch of Double team stuff. In particular, the Ode to the Bulldogs, where um, which is you know one of their most famous moves. It's where um, Ev, uh, Strong has one guy on his back in almost like a torture rack position. Evans comes off the top um, and jumps onto that guy and moonsaults off of him onto the other guy. Um, later, he would turn it into more of like a twisting, almost like well, be more of like a twisting like Phoenix Splash in uh, later in subsequent. Uh, 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 versions of that move but that move got a huge pop um as far as the match itself otherwise you know there was some there were some big moves there's some sloppiness um uh dixie like he botched Arana pretty early um but and you know it was a lot of punk like making um you know making fun of jack seven's gear even though he was just wearing gym shorts at the time i thought that was pretty weird um yeah. but um you know, just uh, Evans doing his like his twisting presses and the chopping that Roderick's doing. I don't know did you notice that Roderick was already starting to look um, like a little bit uh, kind of uh, like he was leaning up already because when, when he first debuted he was he was kind of plump and ov- obviously over the next year he becomes much closer to the Roderick we know now, not not quite, but he, could you could you tell that he was already starting to look a little toner? It's, it would seem that way to me.
0: Uh, I didn't really notice, but I i don't – I didn't get that reaction that I did the first time I saw him in Ring of Honor for, on a recent show where I was like, that's like real baby fat Roderick Strong. So either I'm, I'm getting used to it or you're correct and he's starting to shed a little bit of that.
1: Yeah. Um, Izzy looked a lot better than Dixie I thought in terms of his moves. Like he was um, – apparently something happened to one of their opponents that I don't know what you're, what you're referring to. So I guess it didn't um – Either I didn't pick it up, or was it something that was reported after? Um, no. What 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 I what I did notice was that you know what they're doing with Special K, which is that they all seem depressed. Like and 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 that led to an angle later where there, where some of them are like it's not ready time to party yet. But um, uh, the other thing that you're possibly thinking of is uh, what happened to Becky after the match.
0: No, actually, <laughs> what I was thinking of is just how badly uh, Dixie's chest gets chopped. They oh it, they yes, yes, gets, yes. It gets all marked up, and they show it on. Um, on the interview segment near the end of the night, but it's one of those things where I think it was worse like in photos because i remember looking at the recap of or like the results of this show or or something like that right after it happened at the time and i remember seeing pictures of his chest and it just looked disgusting and even during as this match goes on you can see it getting red but because the camera it, you know this isn't hd at this point you don't get a really great look at it but like punk and gabe are commenting on it as it happens and his chest when you see it in the promo at the end of the night, it's very, like, marked up bad.
1: Yeah, Roger gets to show off his chopping skills, too, for sure. And, uh, obviously, Dixie is uh, the one who gets the, the brunt of it. Um, you know, it's it's... It's hard to say, like it might just be like Dixie's skin type that just like reacts very strongly to that compared to other guys. Cause it didn't seem like Roderick was doing much different to him than he normally does. Like he was chopping him hard, but he always chops guys hard.
0: Um I don't yeah, know. It did- could be like a Brian Danielson type where you just have that special kind of pale skin where like someone could just slap you reasonably hard and it's just immediately gonna turn red and show a mark
1: yeah yeah this is like my hypochondria stuff too like if i like i'll notice sometimes like like i'll look at my arm or something and it'll be like really red and it would be like oh my god do i have a rash and then i'll go away like in an hour and i'm like oh it's just like because i was like like rubbing my arm like you know just like some people's skin just reacts like that um yeah but um uh i was get, the i did mention the whole becky thing um because you know violence against women they, they picked that up real quick here. Um, so right after the match, um, I guess you want to talk about the match first, but I do want to mention this because um, yeah. basically Special K has um, – like So like, basically Generation X beats up Special K. Becky's on her knees begging. Um, and Gabe is like, this isn't the first time she's been with four guys. And then Strong does like a pump handle backbreaker. And I just – they treat Becky with such disrespect. Like not just the, like the, the, the violent stuff. Cause obviously that's something ROH does uh, for worse. Um, but just the way they talk about her, it's like, man, if I was her, I would not like playing this character. It's not, they're not very nice to her in, uh, in K- on kayfabe terms, I guess is what I would say. Um, other thing I want to mention is this show. Even though Death Before Dishonor comes the following week, I feel like this show is actually the spiritual successor to Death Before Dishonor because it's about a year um, between them. It's they're both at the Rexplex. They're both super long, super stuffed shows with big angles, and they both start with Special K getting their asses kicked.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, probably a lot of shows if we look back starting with Special K getting their asses kicked. But that's actually a good point. Yeah, um, yeah I, I like this match. I, I, I think it's above average, but like you said, it, it wasn't quite as good as my memory was. I think my memory of this match was higher just because it was my first exposure to Evans and Strong as a t- tag team. And I just – I really am a big fan of the Evans Strong tag team. I'm a fan of any tag team. Like I realized re-watching this show and other shows recently that like – I'm a big fan of the tag team of opposites, rather than like the Road Warriors type tag team. Not that those can't be great, where it's two guys who look the same, wrestle the same. I like, I like these kind of teams where each guy has what the other guy doesn't have. So you're the
1: you're you're a Heart Foundation guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love stuff like that. Like I love, you know, or a team like this where. Evans has all the personality and charisma you could want. That was Strong's weak point. is the guy throwing people around, hitting them really hard, doing all the backbreakers. Well, you know, um, Evans doesn't have the credibility to do anything like that, but he has all this cool high flying. Like each guy gives the other guy what they're lacking. Or like you said with the Hart Foundation, perfect example, you know, Brett's the technician, but he, at that point his charisma wasn't really developed yet. And but and then. Anvil isn't maybe the technician, but he's this big, beefy, ultra-charismatic dude, just a living cartoon character. So I really love teams like that who are opposites. I think already in this match, you see how they blend well together. Like you said, they already pop off multiple double teams that like not just double teams but double teams that emphasize their strengths. Like I think there's one where strong has a guy up for a power bomb and then Evans hits a drop kick on the guy and then that drops them into the Roddy's power bomb which lands the guy on the knee. So it's like Evans is doing his high flying move, combining it with Strong doing his big backbreaker move. And just stuff like that or the uh the Ode to the Bulldogs, which I thought one of the weird parts of this match, along with the uh with like you said earlier, the botches Including, there was one move where um, Strong got hit really hard in the face, legit in this match it looked like. Uh, I think Izzy hit him really hard that maybe n- not how it was planned. but I think the other weird thing about the other thing about this match that was a bit that I forgot was they pop off Ode to the Bulldogs for the first time, and like you said, the crowd goes nuts over it, and it's not the finish of the match, which seems kind of like a big mistake, like not that, the, that they killed the crowd, but there's nothing they do after that that is bigger than that move like that is clearly the high point of this match for the crowd
1: yeah it doesn't go on that much longer but um but yes i i you know having not seen this match in a very long time i also thought that that was going to be the uh the the finish of the match and was very surprised when it wasn't
0: but it, it's a fun match where it's, a, it's just a sprint and they're just doing cool crazy stuff and trying to you know it's a, it's a fun way to start the show
1: i just thought um, i thought i thought dixie in particular was pretty sloppy here
0: yeah, yeah. again, I thought also even Izzy with the uh, the kick I noticed that was too hard. But yeah, there there was more botches than you would normally like, especially from Dixie and Izzy who are kind of the senior special K guys who are generally considered the more polished guys of the group.
1: They had that epic tag team title reign. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, something. Look at my notes. Something else we should mention. Um, Mark Nolte did not commentate the show. He'd be back for future shows, but it's CM Punk with Gabe Sapolsky. And uh, Punk on commentary right off the bat – He uh, brings up multiple times how glad that Nutley, as he keeps calling him, isn't there. He uh, immediately just goes to complaining about how he pronounced Colt Cabana's name wrong on a recent show. He made fun of him for saying, you know, I don't want to hear about how the mustard's going to fall off the hot dog, which is a saying Nulty used multiple times on recent shows. And he continues to bring him up multiple times throughout the night to the degree that I started thinking that punk really – had a problem with Mark Nolte's commentary. It Um, it seems so. (laughs) uh, And like you said, I also noticed that Punk mocked Jack Evans' gear, which that also goes hand in hand. I mean, I noticed a lot of people back in this era mocked Jack Evans for not wrestling in ring gear. But like you said, I thought it was weird considering that Punk, you know, got slagged all the time in this era for wrestling in basketball shorts. And I know in a shoot interview – Kevin's Owens, Kevin Steen at the time, remarked about how, like, Punk, I think, early on made fun of him for wrestling in a T-shirt and tried to guilt him out of doing it. And, again, it's kind of weird that Punk was the guy who... That was a big criticism of him for a few years, and yet it seemed like he was... He was doing onto others as others were doing onto him, Matt, and not in a nice way. But, uh...
1: Yeah. Listen, man, take a look in the mirror. Take a look, <laughs> look at those uh those nice shorts you have on in the mirror. <laughs>
0: um... And the other one, my last note from this match, uh, going to commentary was I noticed during this match, Punk says at one point, Izzy is beating these guys like he owes them money, and I just think I think you got that. <laughs> like,
1: like I didn't that, notice maybe, that.
0: <laughs> maybe, or though, maybe that's a good strategy. Maybe that's a good way to not have to re- repay anybody <laughs> if you just someone comes near you and wants some money back, immediately just start throwing haymakers at them. Yeah, you <laughs> you where's
1: pay. my money? Ow. <laughs>
0: Oh, if if only Colt had done that, they, you know, they wouldn't have had this loss of friendship, maybe just taking that advice. But uh, like you said, after the match, we get a generation next beatdowns, Becky Bayless, we get our man on woman violence with the big breaker breaker, which I do have to note did get a large pop. It sure
1: did from heels doing
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the heels beating up the – oh, and I wanted to mention too about the Becky Bayless th- thing because I thought you made good points about how badly she was treated in the booking and on the commentary. I think one reason, that why it comes off even worse is like we look at Alice in Danger and she also got, in a lot of ways, similar treatment. But she was more of an active heel manager. Like she would interfere, interfere in matches. She would cut like very shrill, angry promos meant to get heat. Where Becky Bayless has been uh, up to this point, like portrayed as just a harmless ditz that isn't. real. I think maybe she's interfered in one match ever by grabbing a leg. Like,
1: but they and- also like they also do a ton of slut shaming with her. Like it's like incredible. <laughs>
0: Exactly. That's the point. It's like they're so angry at her when she's like done nothing really to hurt anybody. Yeah. Like she's not an evil heel. She's just she's just portrayed her character's point as kind of like an airhead, but not like something that would warrant like, oh, that Becky Baylor, She sure does like having sex with lots of men. Isn't that the worst? Like, <laughs> what? Uh. So. Anyway, after the beatdown, Al Shelley gets on the mic. He says, Tonight, Generation Next is going to make sure this night goes down in infamy. Ari says, If people don't step aside, they're going to move them aside. So that's their little promo alluding to something we will catch later. Um, we cut backstage at this point to Dave Prasak with the new and improved Carnage Crew of Danny Daniels and Masada. Prasak wants to know why they, quote, befouled the Carnage Crew's bags. Um, Daniels says that he hates Loke and then on the very first Ring of Honor show, there was one open spot on the card for another ref, and it was between him and Loke for that spot, and Loke got it because he kissed more ass, according to Daniels. Uh, Masada says he sat at home for the last six months trying to get his Ring of Honor spot back, and the card crew only called him to work with them for the Scramble Cage 2 match because they couldn't beat down a bunch of druggie kids by themselves. Uh, Masada says he stole that match, and he could hang with anyone daniels then says they're not looking for a long lengthy ri- ridiculous feud they're going to end it tonight in a match where the losing team has to split up i thought this was actually a pretty solid promo in the terms of it filled in like eight it was it was weird like we just saw most of this feud has been carried on from promos on the last few shows of the carnage crew being like we're gonna find who shit on our bags and then we're gonna beat you up because you shit on our bags and it's like This is probably stuff they could have filled – would have been good to fill in a few shows ago where basically in like two minutes, they give you a bunch of backstory of this is why we hate the original Carnage crew.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like I guess it was pretty good, but it just seemed like so backwards, you know, like in the sense of like um, they already did this whole angle and clearly they had already decided on this night, Okay, well, we're dropping this angle. But it's like they didn't even really try because they didn't – like they had this whole motivation thing and they didn't even – they didn't even show this to an audience until after the angle was already over, right? Because this is like a backstage segment. I guess there could have been like a promo on this show that was cut. Like, you know, like, but I, I, as far as I could tell, this was the only time they ever actually told the backstory on a DVD. And the match was already done. The angle was already done. That tag team was already split up forever. So I don't know what the exactly they were going for with this angler, what Gabe's vision was of it. I'm not, but clearly he had completely given up by this point.
0: I mean, yeah, I, go, I was going to ask you, but I think your answer makes it pretty clear. This was pr- this angle was probably going to go on longer than this until they decided to change their mind because it, seemed, it just seems very, I mean, I can't imagine this being the plan to end it so abruptly like this from the beginning. Like, we're going to build this up for months and then end it in the very first match. I can't imagine that was the original plan. I have to imagine it was like you're assuming, which is, eh, okay, people are making fun of us for doing an angle based around people shitting in a bag so how about we just we're not going to just not give people what we hyped up to deliver but let's do it as quickly as possible
1: yeah exactly
0: so that brings us to uh, the ring of honor pure title tournament semi-final so we had on this show a one night tournament to crown a new pure title champion ring of honor had given up any idea of waiting for AJ Styles and at this point and hoping that their relationship with TNA would be salvaged anytime soon. And so we had two four-ways, first just single elimination four-ways, so one fall to a win, and then the winners would face later in the night to deter- in a singles match to determine the next pure title champ. So this match was Doug Williams defeated Jay Lethal, John Walters, and Nigel McGuinness in 18 minutes, 40 seconds, when he pinned Jay Lethal with the Chaos Theory suplex. So... This was, as we mentioned earlier, Jay Lethal's very first match in Ring of Honor as Jay Lethal. He had wrestled in Jay, as Jay Lethal elsewhere, just not in Ring of Honor because well, he was part of the Special K gimmick.
1: I believe on, on one of the, like, the TV tapings, he wrestled as Jay Lethal very, very early on, like his first appearance. Um, yeah, that's a good catch. Yeah, because I remember, I remember we talked about it. Like They showed highlights of it on one of the oh, 2002 yeah. DVDs. But that's it. That was the only time. Never on a proper ROH show.
0: Yeah, so this is his official, I guess, coming out party as Jay Lethal. Um, I like this match. I thought it was like a high above average, like you know, like a three ish star or a little bit more. You know, match. It, it was it was entertaining. Uh, and I, I think why you would say, well, that's not a great review, but I would say why impressed it, why I'm impressed with a match at that level is by this point in Ring of Honor, I, I really had a lot of four way fatigue, and for a match that went almost twenty minutes. It never bored me. There was never a moment in this match where it bored me. It was never like – was again, nothing close to like, oh, you have to go out of your way to seeing this. But um, it was good and I felt like these guys all did what they're known to be good at. It, they're all – they're not – none of these guys are really spot fest masters. They're not high flyers. They, you were going to say something?
1: Oh, no, I wasn't. Oh, I
0: just thought I heard something. Anyway um, – No, my, my thing was on mute, so – it's, uh, yes it's okay. um but all these guys are just known for being good like solid mid-tempo like indie wrestlers and they just do what they're good at you know they keep tagging in and out they do mat work they do submissions they do hard strikes they do the standard thing in the four ways where you build to a final few minutes where it breaks down and tags start being ignored and everyone just comes in and that moment was all it got more exciting but maybe a little more scrambly in like not a scramble way but like a not good way where guys are kind of winning for each other an extra couple seconds or out of position because maybe they're not used to doing a match like this. But overall, I, I, I this was an enjoyable match. I thought the highlight was uh, Nigel McGuinness and Doug Williams. They they teased it at first and then went fairly quickly after teasing it right to them wrestling an extended little mini-match against each other. And I thought the fans were really into their you know British-style escapes. And you're seeing, I think, at this point in every match he works – Nigel's starting to do a little more of what we'll come to know as the Nigel signature offense. Like he does the headstand move here to another, you know, big reaction. He does the Tower of London here. He does like the divorce court arm DDT. He's he's becoming more every show like the Nigel people think of when they think of Nigel on Ring of Honor.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything that you said was good and bad, although I maybe I liked the good stuff I maybe thought the bad parts were I liked them less than you did if that makes sense like I loved all the May- yep. Williams versus McGinnis stuff you know I, I, I liked at the beginning Punk was like oh i'm gonna do a cravat count to see how many cravats there are in this match I think he he gave up the cravat count after like one or two he forgot about it but um <laughs> But, you know, I, I, and I also enjoyed Punk talking about how the British stuff was in style now in the indies, but everyone else who did it did it like crap, and Williams and Nigel did it well, which um, I think is probably true. Um, I think at this point, not, uh, Williams' stuff looked a little better than Nigel's, right? Because he was already well on his way to being one of the best, and Nigel was still sort of up and coming. Um, yeah. But um, Punk also keeps calling them limeys, which – is that okay to say? Is that like – is that not an offensive
0: slur? I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's a good thing to say. I, I, at one point, Gabe even wonders. He says something like, "We're going to have to edit this off the Wrestling Channel." Which, for people that don't know, back in this era, there was actually a TV channel in the UK that was called the Wrestling Channel that was just showing wrestling, including Ring of Honor. And so, yeah, Gabe kind of acknowledging like. Eh maybe people across the pond aren't going to like you continuing to call these guys limeys
1: yeah i think punk was i guess like again just trying to be jesse ventura bobby heenan yes. like just do, saying heel st- stuff they would say but it's 2004 and not like 1988 so probably certain stuff didn't fly like i don't think you'd be allowed to say that at wwe tv at that time and certainly not now <laughs> so um but uh, but yeah all the all the nigel and william stuff was really cool um well, you know, I say this every time Doug Williams shows up, but he's such a pleasure to watch, right? Like, just everything yeah. he does is just so smooth and so well executed. He's he's amazing. Um, uh, William, I mean, uh, Lethal and Walters actually got dueling chance, which I was very surprised by, but I guess it makes sense for Lethal because that uh, Elizabeth is actually his hometown. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it makes sense that he'd get some heat uh, or some uh, some enthusiasm there. Um, at one point. Um, During the match, um, Punk is like, all the people in Boston are watching the closed caption. And then I think Punk, he catches himself being like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, in some sort of uh, Boston facility where they air this closed caption, and they're rooting for John Walters. I just like the concept (laughs) of some sort of Boston facility where they air this closed caption. Um, I, I think the part the match lost me was that ending part that you were talking about, where where they try to do all the fast paced stuff, but it's like I don't know, they just didn't. I don't think they did it that well. Like Nigel had Doug in like a, a head scissors, so Doug does like a headstand. You know how like when you're in a head scissors you do a headstand and you try to like jump out of it, but mm-hmm. while he's he's doing a headstand, Walters put Lethal's head in between Doug's legs. And so they're also so so. Nigel has Doug in a in a head scissors on the on the ground. Doug has lethal in a head scissors in the air, and then Walters just tips the whole thing over. Which I thought was pretty funny, but also extremely contrived um, yeah, it
0: also looked really ugly, it looked like lethal took like what could have been a really dangerous, awkward bump on like his head and neck,
1: yeah, I'm actually also not totally sure that's what Walters meant to do, tipping yeah. everyone over like I didn't know if he was going to like do another thing and everyone just fell because I think Never that's a
0: great sign when you can't tell if a move is intentional, like back <laughs> yeah. office is supposed to when you can't tell that that's usually not a great sign,
1: but I guess it worked for what it was going for um. But uh, but yeah, just like then just all the breakups and stuff, it just felt a little sloppy. Um, so uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty good. I, I, I think Nigel versus Doug made it a good match. I think without that, it, I wouldn't have liked it nearly as much.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the the basic gist of this match is most of it was just guys taking turns wrestling each other, like they were having normal little mini matches. And when they tried to do what I think what you what people expect the end of these multi-man matches to be, these more big spot everyone in things, that's when you saw this wasn't their their comfort zone. And that's like you said, it, it gets more awkward at that point. Um some other things I noticed just quickly, first on commentary, this is something I think we l- have loved in the past when they act like Ring of Honor is like a big deal in certain ways that we know it isn't. Like Gabe says, the Vegas odds makers have set odds on who's going to win the pure title tonight. And he says, of the people in this match, Williams is 2-1, to one, Walters is 4-1, to one, Nigel is 7-1, to one, and Jay Lethal is 20-1. to one. And then Punk on Comedy is like, I have no idea what any of that means. He just says, and, uh,
1: I, I just, I just like the idea of like the two nerdiest odds makers in Vegas, like that no one talk no one of the other odds makers talk to putting odds on this and they're trying <laughs> to like tell people and, and everyone's just like, um, yeah, I'm going to go bet on the, uh, the, the, uh, the baseball game over there. See you later. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there were some spots I liked in this match. Like, uh, walters took this really wild bump on a lethal clothesline where he nearly landed on his head or face and uh lethal did one of these things where i think he saw like how good of a bump he did he's like i'm gonna do that too and so like right after he takes a big huge flipping bump on a clothesline on his i always like stuff like that where like a wrestler like gets encouraged by another like okay i can do it too uh there was a moment where um at one point, lethal is is pretty much completely vertical in a John Walters Boston crap, like to the point where I don't it doesn't even really look painful. Like his head, he's basically just standing on his head at a point until um, Walters kind of sinks it up better. Um, and apart from that, yeah, I think we covered probably as much talk as this match deserves, but. Oh, yeah. One more thing. and This is one of those things that, Matt, is a sign of the times that I think we've moved beyond that I am really glad at. There was a fan on this night that during every match a British guy was in would, would chant loudly USA, USA. Oh,
1: yeah. I did write that. Oh, man. more and than one, More than one fan, actually. It was very annoying.
0: And I would say as recently as like four or five years ago with Zack Sabre Jr. in PWG, there was still people that would – there was still like one fan at PWG shows that would do that whenever Zack Sabre Jr. wrestled. And the difference was by that point, the rest of the crowd would immediately just boo the guy and tell him to shut the fuck up. But I feel like nowadays that fan has been pretty much eliminated at least from your like prestige quote-unquote indies.
1: Well, also keep keep in mind L.A. – is very different from the East Coast in yeah. terms of their wrestling crowds. Like you still get a bunch of the uh, the ruffian types at the yeah. uh, at the East Coast wrestling shows that do obnoxious stuff like that. I don't know how e- uh, USA USA would go over in that situation here, but yeah, the PWG crowd that it's that's they they would not go for that.
0: Yeah, I just feel like this was a lot more common. Where nowadays, I would be more surprised if, like, say. Walter came in and worked in evolve show if fans in 2020 would chant USA where back at this point this was far from uncommon. Like it didn't happen all the time but definitely if you were a wrestler working in indie and you were not American or Canadian maybe there was a fair chance there'd be at least someone in the crowd that was just going to chant USA no matter if you were supposed to be a face or a heel like the entire match. Yep, no, you're right. (laughs) uh, So some progress there. Um, And that brings us to next up the losing team must break up weapons tag team match. The carnage crew of DeVito and Loke defeated the new and improved carnage crew of Danny Daniels and Masada in 10 minutes, 17 seconds when Loke pinned Daniels after he and DeVito hit him with baseball cat, baseball bats, not cats, while he was wearing a garbage can over his head. Um, I'm going to take first out of this match too because I'm going to just change the order up a bit for a match later I would want to have first pick at, but there's not a ton to say about this match. I would say, um, it was average. It was, I guess, disappointing in the sense that for a match that had this kind of no notable, maybe not in the best way feud attached to it that had been talked about for months. It's one match. It didn't feel that much more hate filled or violent than any of of probably a half dozen current crew brawl matches we've seen in ring of honor up at this, up to this point. Um, it, just feel, it doesn't really feel like the match builds. It just feels like they brawl on the outside. Within the first two or three minutes, three of the four guys are bleeding, and Loke is the only one who's not bleeding. He joins them soon afterwards. There's just a lot of kind of plodding, middle-of-the-roll brawling. And other than there's a big swing neck breaker through a table that Loke hits, and there's that finish with the baseball bat to the to a garbage can, there isn't really anything about this match that's really super memorable. It doesn't really build an intensity it just feels like they're filling 10 minutes of time and then they end the match and i guess the one last thing i noticed that was really weird was you know it's a weapons match so you're thinking well if you're explicitly calling this match a weapons match we're gonna see like crazy weapons and the only thing out of the ordinary we see is at one point in the match the carnage crew bails to the outside the original carnage crew and they grab some more plunder out of the under the ring, Lok sets up the table for the table spot I mentioned. and then one of the things they throw in the ring is this big tray full of what I can only describe as like broken white stuff. I just wrote in my notes plastic question mark. I don't know. and it's never really used. It just hangs around and I don't know what that was or what it was supposed to be or why it didn't get used, but just, A very average match, a a disappointing end to a not not an angle anyone had high hopes for, but it really does feel like this thing went out with just a whimper and them just trying to get it out the door as quickly as possible by this point.
1: Yeah, we're three for three on matches that you liked more than me somehow. Um, I thought this was pretty crappy, this match. Um, You know, not that the guys didn't work hard, but it felt like an afterthought. Booking wise, it felt like an afterthought to the crowd. There wasn't really a lot of heat, like you said. It was just like a lot of, a lot of just people hitting each other with stuff. You know, there were some other, um, some other weapons. You know, they did have the baseball bats. There was a wrench. You know, there was a lot of bleeding and stuff, but yeah, it just felt like they were like booking wise. Not the wrestlers. Again, the wrestlers were trying. You know, Daniel uh, Daniels was being choked by Devito while Devito screamed, "Die, motherfucker, die!" You know, he came out with a crutch, like he was like he was limping, and then just you know hit them with the crutch and he was faking it and stuff. You know, they did all that stuff, but it was very short. It felt like they were just like, get let's get this over with. Um, yeah. Booking wise, I mean, you know, I'm not again, I'm not criticizing the wrestlers. I just didn't think this match clicked, and I thought the heat was not good because the feud did not get over. So I just wrote at the yeah. end, put this feud out of its misery. I mean, I think that's what they were doing, like, the, yeah. they were putting it out of its misery. And I felt bad for the guys involved because I think they were not, they were kind of cheated by some bad booking here.
0: But the original, um, I will say the original Cars Crew did get a chant after the match. So for whatever yes, that's they were. They
1: were still well liked by the crowd, but the match itself yes. was not.
0: And I have a feeling this might be the match based on a little bit of – we usually don't talk to each other too much about the, mat, the matches before we record the show. But based on a conversation we had a little while ago, I have a feeling will be this match will be more simpatico in our uh, views. This is the other Ring of Honor pure title tournament semifinal four-corner survival match. Thank you, Cage Match, for getting every descriptor there. Um, Alex Shelley defeated Austin Aries, CM Punk, and Matt Stryker in 19 minutes, 39 seconds, when he pinned Matt Stryker with a victory roll. I should note in the finish, Punk had Aries rolled up at the same time, but the win was awarded to Shelley because he was considered to be the legal man. Um, Before I throw it to you, Matt... I guess we should mention before the match Punk throws his jacket at Shelly. Uh, Shelly elbow drops it and he kicks it out of the ring before he grabs the mic. Shelly gets a loud shut the fuck up chant. And at this point, Shelly says, Generation Next has already taken Matt Stryker's spot. And as far as he's concerned, tonight's match is a three-way dance and he can leave. Stryker refuses and Shelly again for another, I think this was the second straight show, he calls Matt Stryker Captain Charisma. And he says they'll need to get pillows because Stryker's going to put the crowd to sleep. And this actually gets some cheers and applause for some fans. So Matt Stryker's down, downfall continues and I felt kind of bad for him at that moment uh Shelley then turns his attention to punk and he says sooner or later that you know we're going to be gunning for you and then they cheap shot him and the match starts matt i did think it was kind of weird that like they they said to Stryker, like we already took your spot and it's like well he's booked in a four-way with you so, so doesn't that suggest you've taken somebody else's spot that like posted <laughs> in the match like it seems like his spot is, has remained you've taken someone else's spot
1: yeah but who's oh man so many <laughs> options um not chad collier he was not there much to begin with um i would say if anything Shelley is sort of taking cm punk's spot from the year earlier in the sense that now he's the guy that gets mic time in the ring on every single show do you notice that like um so you know they're pushing alex Shelley extremely hard at this point um that's pretty clear as being like the new personality in the company but um as far as the uh, the match um, first of all when Punk is coming out some guy in the crowd is just screaming about how much he hates him during his entrance and it, I think it's extremely distracting like it's annoying to, to a point um, but as far as the match itself, they turn it very quickly into a tag team match. Even though Punk's face turn doesn't come for, like, another hour, um, Punk and Stryker are the faces against uh, Shelly and Ares, who are the heels. But the crowd doesn't really react much during the match to any of them. Like, they just seem kind of bored with this kind of tag match alignment. They, um, you know, first Punk and Stryker work over Shelly – they work over Shelley's arm, or excuse me, his uh, his leg, and um, you know, they they do all this stuff, and the crowd's not really into it. During this time, by the way, Gabe uh, Jimmy Bauer mentions the new code of honor, which I actually, unlike the contenders' ring, is actually very simple. So I like it. It's just basically shake hands, keep level playing field, and respect the refs. I think that's actually a much cleaner idea if you're going to have something like that. So I appreciated that. Um.
0: One thing I thought that was interesting about that was uh, uh, I'll get to it at the end of the show, but Bruce Mitchell had a review of the show, which I did not think was like very great. Like I think Bruce Mitchell was kind of out of touch with Ring of Honor at this era. But one thing I thought was kind of funny was Gabe when he did this rules of new rules of code of honor. He emphasized these are just. Um, you don't have to follow these, but the locker room will think you're a jerk if you know if you don't do them. And so, in his review, Bruce Mitchell said, "I love the suggestions of honor." He said, <laughs> and I, th- "I thought that was a funny way." It's it's not it's no longer the rule the rules. It's just these are some some suggestions to be honorable.
1: Yeah, but I mean, also, shouldn't every heel not care if the locker room thinks they're a jerk? Isn't that like what being a heel is? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah. So finally, Generation Next get the, gets the advantage, and they get the heat on Punk um, after Ares kind of like punk is getting irish whipped and Ares takes out a shirt and sort of like chokes him on it and knocks him down and then uh, they take over they work on punk's neck um you know setting up for the border city stretch and stuff like that um and also they like they apparently they're they're going to take out all of punk's limbs because then Ares works on his arms and legs um you know i think like this whole idea of you know the generation next being a team and taking everyone out it makes sense on some level but punk is still a heel and enough people in the Jersey crowd don't like him, so they're not really getting behind him in the match. So when Stryker gets hot tagged in, that's not obviously that hot either because it's Stryker. So, um, but and then, but then uh, I guess one nice twist is after Stryker gets hot tagged in, Punk and Stryker fight too. Like it's not just Stryker taking out Generation X. Him, him and Punk still go at it too. So I like that. Um, and then, um, so Aries and uh, and Stryker. I mean, Ares and uh, Shelly both get their submissions on Punk. Striker breaks that up. Um, and eventually you get to um, Ares breaking up the striker lock with the 450. Then Ares gets hit with the Shining Wizard. And then they uh, they do the simultaneous victory rolls Ares and Shelly does. So Ares does one on Punk, but Punk like, blocks it, while Shelly does one effectively on uh, on striker and they count shelly's pin instead of punk's and that's where the controversy comes but so shelly gets into the uh the pure title match so it's kind of a cheap face saving finish for punk and i don't think the match really worked either i thought this was a really boring match
0: yeah i, I thought this match was I, I was trying to be kind to it, average at best but your review is kind of reinforcing it in my mind it might even be worse than that and i i just feel like it's 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 a super disappointing match because on paper if you tell me Alex Shelley Austin Aries CM Punk and even Matt Stryker is not a bad wrestler are gonna get 20 minutes like that this is where it tops out at that like maybe it tops out at like two and a half stars I I would say that's very disappointing and that's exactly in my opinion what this match is and it's like you said it's because one of the reasons but not The only reason but one of the main reasons is because they did something that four ways occasionally do which is the guys decide you know what we don't want to do a four-way we're going to do a tag match and except the problem is as you pointed out three of the four guys in this match are heels and even though gen next and cm punk both get mixed reactions on this night like you said they both still get heel reactions from a noticeable part of the crowd like when shelly did his mic work before the match? He got booze and shut the fuck up chance. And when Punk wrestles at some point during this match, he gets like CM pussy chance, I think. So. You get you get this weird thing where it's, it's they treat it like it's a babyface versus heel tag team, but three of the people in the match are halfway heels at least in terms of crowd reaction. And the one guy that's a babyface is the guy the crowd actually likes the least probably in Matt Stryker. They were laughing at him when Shelly was talking about him putting the crowd to sleep before the match. So – That's not good. I also felt like Generation Next, I've said this before, I think one of the hardest things in tag team wrestling is doing an extended beatdown of somebody and making it compelling the whole way through. I think a lot of teams struggle with that for some reason. I feel like there was just a lot of work here where teams were in control and it just wasn't very engaging. And I felt like when they finally did the same thing that all these four ways do, which is breaks down the final few minutes, it ramps up and everyone's doing moves and lots of different near falls, it just wasn't – it didn't redeem the rest of the match. It wasn't – even that wasn't good enough to really go well. It picked up in the last few minutes. And then a couple other things that bugged me while I'm piling on this match. Um, the finish kind of bugged me because like you said, it was this weird face-saving finish for Punk. But yet I think why it bugged me was – the ref was like, no, it's only Shelly counts because he was the legal man. And it's like, how many of these four ways have we seen where every time it breaks down and the ref loses all control, he doesn't know who the legal men are, and he counts every penitent regardless of the person. And this is the one match he just so happens to know exactly who the legal man is. And like instantly, you no, know, no, nope, this is the valid end of the match. And it was just, I don't know why Punk needed that. Dave wrote in The Observer, this allows Punk to stay alive as one of the first contenders for the pure title. And I don't think Punk ever forget. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Punk really ever got involved for the Pure Title.
1: Also, did he really need to have that to be stay alive for that position? Yeah, like he couldn't have had a Pure Title match without that. Like, really? And, and, like that's like I, it was it was completely unnecessary. Like it it added nothing.
0: It, and another problem I had with the match was they did a, another thing that I really hate in these kind of multi man matches where it's everyone from themselves and there can only be one winner, which is. Punk and uh, Striker do some little bit of teaming up during the match, but a couple times, like you said, one attacks the other. And on commentary, or even at one point, uh, uh, like the fans, they like boo when Striker attacks Punk or Punk attacks Striker. It's like, well, only one of these guys can win. Like, what do you want them to be partners for the entire match when there's like a real prize at stake here? There's a title shot at stake and only one person can win. And, like, there's a point where Striker. Um, gets a hot tag and he beats down Gen X and then he goes and attacks Punk who just tagged him in and the crowd boos him and it's like well what he's doing is a smart thing you know he shouldn't be a partner with Punk for the whole match and then later on I think to do a spot where I forget if it's Punk accidentally uh, chops Striker or Striker accidentally chops Punk when they were trying to hold the Generation Next member to get chopped and then they just stare at each other for a few seconds like it's the biggest betrayal and again it's like it's every man for themselves. Like, why are you acting like this is – oh, the longstanding Matt Striker cm Punk relationship has been fractured. It was just the – it's one of those little things that just bugs me a lot for some reason.
1: You know and- what? You know what? You know what this match could have used? CM Punk on commentary, making fun of it.
0: <laughs> exactly and of course as with all these uh, punk shows that he does commentary for it's Gabe Solo just for the punk match even though it's all Pulse production to try and give it a bit of realism that as if punk was actually doing the commentary live so you have Gabe all alone on this match doing commentary I actually thought like Matt Stryker actually didn't look terrible in this match, I'll say. I thought he did my favorite spot of the whole match where he has Aries and he throws him down into a stomach breaker. And then he just doesn't let him fall and he just lifts him right back up, like kind of tosses him back onto his shoulders and then hits the Death Valley driver, which I thought looked cool. And Yeah, so- I,
1: I keep forgetting Matt Stryker was in the mix for still so long, including up until now. I mean, he just never wins anymore. But he was. they still kept him around, still kept him in notable matches.
0: I felt bad, though, because at this point, the crowd really was not a big fan of Matt Stryker. And there was a point where it's just like, when it's not your day, it's really not your day. Because there was a moment where uh, Stryker and uh, Punk give Shelly a double back elbow. And then, you know, uh, Shelly's lying on the mat. And at this point, Stryker just is not aware of where Shelly is. And he trips over Shelly's arm. And the crowd, like, starts jeering him. A A few people do. And they laugh at him. And I'm just like... Your run has really gone off a cliff, you poor guy. Um, if you want the Vegas odds for this match, Matt, Gabe said, Punk was a two-to- one fave, and everyone else in the match was four to one. so not as interesting as the last match, but uh yeah, just probably one of the more disappointing matches we've seen so far this year in terms of just who's on paper and the time it's given versus what you end up getting.: Yeah, didn't work. What can you do? Um so after the match Punk gets on the mic and he gets a mix of shut the fuck up chants and but also you know positive punk chants. Punk says what he's about to say isn't for Aries, it's for Baby Bear, which is referring to a little gimmick Alex Shelley had in TNA at this time to give you an idea of the time period we're in
1: because his uh his uh, valet was Goldilocks.
0: Yeah, and he was the Baby Bear and he gets a Baby Bear chant here. Exactly. Punk- Punk says Shelly didn't beat Punk. He beat Matt Stryker, so he didn't get one over on the Second City Saints. Again, poor Matt Stryker. Uh, Punk says a Generation Next wants spots. He'll give them one. He'll give them Raven's spot, who he kicked out of Ring of Honor. Punk then says, I'll give you Christopher Daniel's spot. Uh, Punk says Shelly is still a loser, and he's still better than him, and that gets another big mix of cheers and boos. Punk then says, if anyone else wants a spot, come back at the end of the night and he'll give them Steamboat spot because he's taking Steamboat out tonight. So still clearly a heel, even though that'll change later on the show. Very strong heel at this point, while also kind of cutting a, a promo against another heel group, but it'll all make sense by the end of the night. Um And that brings us next to a Falls Count Anywhere tag team match. This is the match I want first dibs at, because I don't know how you're going to feel about it, Matt. Uh, this is probably a match where I will like it in a weird way more than you. BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff defeated the Second City Saints of Ace Steel and Colt Cabana in 1054 when Whitmer pinned Steel after he and Moff hit a concerto on him. So in a way, the first part of this match is kind of similar to the Carnage Crew weapons match, where it's a, it's a lot of kind of mid-level plotting, brawling, and it's not really doing anything special. But I will say, I don't know, I would give this match, like, in terms of entertainment, like, a bit above average, but it isn't really for what, like, the its quality as a like, quote-unquote wrestling match. is because it just gave me a few goofy, memorable moments. Maybe not the always ones they intended to produce, but I'll just go through them. There's one first where um, it's a false count anywhere match, so they brawl into the crowd, and Moth and uh, Colt are brawling on these bleachers, but the bleachers are only, like, three tiers high. It's not very high at all, and at one point, Moth is, like, selling like he's going to fall off the third, like it's going to be him falling off the Empire State Building, when it's probably a drop of, like, I don't know, six feet seven feet yeah
1: like you could and, probably land on your feet after that drop
0: yeah and then later like moments later colt uh jumps off the very first step which is basically akin to jumping off a curb to do a double axe handle and they like sell it like it's like not a comedy spot like oh my god he just jumped off of that's got to be one foot off the ground Matt. and, <laughs> and he, he does it which again at this point i was like okay this match is starting to win me over then they, cr- they go, they brawl all four guys up the stairs, up to this balcony or bleacher, or just this high up section where the hard cam is. And the poor sound guy or tech guy is like crouching down and still trying to stay at the soundboard and like monitor things as everyone, I don't know if he eventually leaves, but at first he's like, just like, I'll just squeeze by here and you guys can brawl around me. I'm going to keep monitoring the levels here. And that was funny. But then it gets better because you see them brawl on this balcony section. Um, Moth at one point is actually on the outside holding onto the bars, teasing that he could fall off. And this would be what appears to be quite a a big drop. So it's a bit of an ooh-ah moment. But then he soon gets Colt on the other side of the bars. And Colt falls off this risen high-up area. And... We don't. He falls. He falls off the side that the crowd is not on, so we don't see what he falls onto. Presumably, he fell on something very safe. But Gabe is screaming and telling that um, you know, Colt could be dead. He fell twenty feet and all this stuff. And what I love is a couple things, Matt. First off, Punk, who is you know Colt's good friend and second city stablemate acts like this isn't even a big deal. Like he does not want to oversell it like Gabe does. And like within a few seconds, they're just back to calling the match. Like, like Gabe acts in one moment, like Colt may have just died. And then it's like, here comes a move on a steel. And like, you know, punk isn't. And then there's this other moment where, when Colt falls, because the Rexplex was this big multi-purpose sports center where there was lots of different things happening in the building at once. Often, you know, on, on, on other Rexplex shows, you could hear, the noises from other sporting events in the building as it was happening. And so in this one, you can see way off, like in the, in the distance, just the black silhouette of a bored person leaning on another balcony who would have a great view of Colt Cabana falling to his death. And he's just staring at it. And he's like just leaning against the balcony looking so bored, the silhouette. And he does not move at all. And for some reason, this made me laugh so hard. The idea of Gabe is screaming that Colt has just died, possibly died. And you just see some bored person who's like, yeah, this dumb wrestling show. Some guy just fell on like a stack of crates or something. And it just – for some reason – you know, if a match can't be good, at least be memorable, and that's what it did for me. And then we get the very end with another big oversell where um they uh moth hit steel with a spotlight and gave Celsa as both being super hot and a twenty thousand dollar piece of equipment that was just destroyed, which I think would well, probably bankrupted Ring of this point. Um and so, so yeah, overall, this was just kind of a standard indie false count anywhere match complete with times where it was hard to see and not well lit. But there was enough goofy, memorable spots where I will remember this match. And if nothing else, that's a plus to me.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. No, I I, I honestly am. I, uh, I thought this match was a lot of fun. Um, like definitely the most entertaining match so far. Um, overall, you know, I mean, the opener had some good stuff too, but I think this was just a lot of fun. It was, um, you know, it's silliness in the crowd, you know, it's still way too much in the way of unprotected chair shots, um, to a lot of the guys, especially to Ace Steel, because he always gets lots of unprotected chair shots to his head and delivers a lot of them, um, but yeah, the stuff on the bleachers is really funny. How about this line from Punk that I almost don't even want to say because it's so sexist, um, where Gabe is like, you just have to pin someone against a flat surface. So Punk goes, so anyone can be pinned up against the chest of Alice in danger? Which just <laughs> I just wrote, yeesh, like, oh god. Um, but yeah, the, the balcony stuff was – I mean, you know, Cabana like just falling into the abyss, it's um, – it's like it was an interesting ending but also I loved the teases that Moff did before that where he was on the other side of the ledge and they were teasing him falling like onto the crowd side because they would like do all this stuff to him like hit him over the head with boards and stuff and somehow he would keep hanging on like I thought that was like almost comical also and then yeah like ending it with a concerto I thought was a pretty good finish I don't know. I thought it was a pretty – like it was a much more um, decisive ending than I expected, which I liked just in terms of setting up the following uh, the following week's big match between um, Punk and uh and, Steel and B- Whitmer and Moff.
0: Don't, the yeah, only no, – you know, They're going No, sorry. Go ahead. Go on. No. I was just going to say, yeah, knowing that they're going to lose the feud in a week, this, I guess, was their their one last big win here. And, of course, because Punk's not involved, it's easier to give them a really, like you said, definitive, strong win here where Colt Cabana might be dead and Ace Steel gets his brains bashed in.
1: Yeah, the one, the one critique I'll have is actually of Punk because he comes back onto commentary after his loss and he's really mad about getting screwed in that finish. And he's like – he just buries the match that has his own team in it because he's like – this match, my match next week with Moth and Whitmer, like, this is at the beginning of this match. He's like, my match next week is going to be the most violent match ever. Someone's going to die in that match. You watch that match. And I'm like, you know, this match has just started. So maybe, like, talk about this match. And obviously, Punkin feels like he can get away with saying that because he probably recorded this commentary after that match happened. So he yeah. knows for a fact that that was, in fact, the most violent match in ROH history almost, or one of them. Um, so, but still, I just, I didn't like that he basically buried this match as it was starting.
0: Yeah, that, that's a problem Punk had on commentary, I've noticed at this time, which was sometimes when he did the thing during these shows where he would not step out for his match and then come back and pretend, you know, that he had just wrestled the match, he would act very in character. And a lot of times, the match after Punk's match on these shows that he commentates, it's like. Half the commentary is just him basically cutting a promo in regards to his match and just reacting in whatever the emotion would be from that match, which, yeah, like in a case like this match, completely detracts from it and kind of steals the focus. And in a way, it makes sense for the CM Punk character, but it doesn't make sense for the show, which is maybe a good reason not to always have – not to ever have a wrestler – do commentary on a show they're working on.
1: At least at least when they're that, as prominent as Punk is and has angles and stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, because you put them in a, in a weird position because the wrestler does have to kind of – they can't just say, well, oh, I lost that match but no big deal. But at the same time, their job as a commentator is to not – is to focus on the next match and put it over. So it's kind of – those two goals kind of don't always work well together. But – um after the match, Alice and Danger gets in the ring and, and of course, Moff and Whitmer are still up in this risen balcony section but she gets in the ring and gets on the mic and she congratulates Moth and Whitmer for getting a win for the prophecy and from the balcony, we can see Moth and Whitmer clearly act like she's insane like, doesn't this girl know? We've already told her, the prophecy's over. So at this point, Danger gets really angry and she points out that she owns the rights to Moff and Whitmer's contracts, which means she owns them and she can book their matches for them and sh- then she says the prophecy will never die so we're setting up the next little angle where the prophecy are basically going to be a feud with alice in danger where danger is going to book them in matches with the express purpose of hoping they get the shit beat out of them
1: she also says she's going to like bring in a tag team which i don't think actually happens right so she just basically like has the carnage crew do her bidding
0: yeah I'm, i'm not sure yeah i don't think so so uh Next, we go backstage with Gary Michael Capetta for intermission. He's with Special K, and this is when we really get to see Dixie's chest, and his head, too, is really marked up super red. Uh, Becky is lying on the floor. She's um, begging for someone to help her up. She's hurt from the backbreaker. Dixie says he's tired of losing, and Special K start bickering at this point. Becky keeps asking for help as Special K ignores her and leaves. And I just wrote the end, Gary won't even help her up. Like, come on, man. Just... Help Help a person up, but it's kind of funny where basically they're just doing the exact same angle they just did with Jay Lethal, but with Dixie and Izzy now the the special K members decide they don't want to party anymore
1: well also they don't have uh, they don't actually have the performances in the ring against top stars to uh, match the way Lethal does yeah, they're
0: not getting the showcases here, but
1: um next we go also also Gary Capetta calls Becky Darlin as she lays on the floor. So insult to injury. <laughs>
0: uh the embassy of Prince Nana and the Outcast Killers then make their way to the ring after intermission. And Nana takes the mic. He calls the crowd Hicks and he tells them to shut up. Nana says he's traveled around the world and found one of the top tag teams in Ring of Honor with the Outcast Killers. I would just note he didn't have to travel very far to find them if that was his goal. Um He says he's cleaned out his bank accounts to bring in his new member. And out comes someone in a gold and purple robe with a towel over their head. Big mystery. Nana then, as the guy goes in the ring, Nana pulls off the towel and reveals him to be Jimmy rave it gets some cheers and some claps uh rave takes off the robe to reveal what I to is he's wearing this very embassy looking like royal looking purple and gold robe, and then he takes it off to reveal he's just wearing the same old pre-embassy pleather looking indie ass looking Jimmy rave gear he's always had which does not look very royal at this point um Trent acid's music hits and we get Jimmy rave defeating Trent acid via pinfall in 10 minutes five seconds after he hits the styles clash uh matt what did you think about this is a kind of a big moment in terms of jimmy ray would be a fixture on the mid card and upper mid card for ring of honor for quite a while after this and this is the official repackaging of him here right here
1: yeah i don't think anyone probably could have guessed that he would have been as successful in this uh in this role as he ended up being um i've obviously you know gabe had big plans for him as he was already doing the styles clash as his finish and all that stuff but um you know it turns so this actually was a really big moment in early roh um unbeknownst to us but actually it came off really well even at the time i thought the crowd reacted pretty well to it you know they didn't totally shit on it they booed him but in like the right way you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they were like fuck this like and like shit on the match they were into the
0: match um He's already getting a Die Jimmy Die chant on his very first match as a heel.
1: Yeah, which is what you want, right? Yeah. Uh, And, um, yeah, I'd say the match itself wasn't that great because I don't think Acid was that great. Like, he started off doing a bunch of flippy stuff and, like, none of it was connecting. Yeah, Um, Rave came back with the hard clothesline and a high knee. Um, And it was funny to hear on commentary Punk defending Rave, you know, just because, like, they would have a pretty big feud months later. Um but like one part of the storyline of this match that I noticed is the embassy kept interfering on Ray's behalf, but it kept not really amounting to much. Like Acid would just get control right after that, like like he would allow um Ray to catch him on the top rope, but Acid would still slam him off the top rope, like stuff like that. Eventually um rave hit a couple of big moves in a row he hit the running knee and he teased doing it again but instead hit the styles Clash for the win but i like that they still had rave sort of like not be totally effective and like it took a lot of interference from the embassy to actually put him over and he would just get better and better as time went on so i like that that touch kind of um and i thought it was it was i thought it was a good storyline i thought it was a good presentation and i thought it worked
0: Yeah, I think the angle worked great, and for those who haven't been following the shows or following the podcast or listening to this out of order for some reason, the the background with this is Jimmy Rave had lost most of his Ring of Honor matches in his run before this as a babyface, and they had even built up in his last couple matches, Gabe saying, like, if he doesn't win this match, he's probably done in the company, and he kept losing, and as we've mentioned on on a previous show, Jimmy Rave actually, like, wrote a live journal saying, like, he was pissed off at Gabe for firing him and they didn't give him a chance. And both the Observer and the Torch, I believe, bought the story. And, uh, Rave, to this day, has talked about how he was really proud that he kind of hooked them into believing it. And, you know, they really thought this was firing. But, but according to Rave, this was all planned right from the start. This wasn't them, like, turning an angle from something reality. No, it was always you know, Ray gets fired and he gets brought back almost immediately. And of course there's this comedy part of it of the embassy's big crown jewel hyped guy that Prince Nana empties his bank account for is the guy who just got fired for losing too much. And and one other little piece of background I found out doing research for the show, Matt, is, uh, Jimmy Rave actually did a two part, uh, interview, a very long, extensive one with uh, an honorable mention. And in episode 27, he really talks just about his Ring of Honor days And he noted that um, he's never really had a great relationship in the ring with Trent Acid. He said he he uh, noted that he was booked to go over Trent Acid in CZW at one point, and Trent Acid apparently really didn't want to lose to Jimmy Rave. And so Rave says, going into this match, Trent Acid is just like, "Here we go again." He says to Rave, and Rave just felt like, "Well, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm sorry they've booked me to beat you, but it's I don't wonder if that." if that somehow impacted how this match was working, is I felt like a lot of this match, maybe it was like you were saying just to show that Rave is still a heel that needs a lot of help. But for a lot of, he gave for his big first match in this new gimmick, I felt like he gave Trent acid a lot of the match, like at up to a point, it felt more like a Trent acid showcase than a Jimmy Rave showcase. Maybe, maybe that is
1: why I still thought it worked for the gimmick.
0: Yeah. And for those who didn't watch the match either, um, this is kind of a different match because not only is there a ton of interference in front of the ref that the, doesn't do anything about, but I would say a couple, few minutes into the match, um, Prince Nana grabs the house mic and is like cheering Jimmy on over the PA system for the entire rest of the match.
1: So, yeah, but again, commentary talks over it, so you don't really get to hear a ton of what he's saying.
0: Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I didn't think Trent looked great. He was doing like just a lot of flashy offense, but he didn't really have great – the moves he were doing he was doing were cool but he d- he doesn't have really great execution in this Yeah, they didn't at all. they didn't connect so how cool could they be, yeah, you know? Yeah. They would have they could have been cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah, thing. exactly. And the one thing I noticed is uh I believe Punk was a pretty big fan of Jimmy Rave and fought for him at this time and uh, Jimmy Rave really puts over him over in this sh- interview like about some of the suggestions he gave to rave and you can even there's one moment in this match i think the coolest spot in this match might be rave just does a he's like passes in the corner and he like runs into the corner and just like does a step up and then knees him in the head. And it's a movie he's done before, but it just really looked and sounded good this time. And you can hear punk, like get legitimately impressed. Like, whoa, like you like, like where it kind of breaks from the announcer voice where he's like, whoa, I didn't expect I'd see that. And I just, I have a feeling that, you know, punk probably just had a soft spot in his heart for Jimmy rave. And probably you, you hear it in moments like that, but it's probably in his back of his head. Like I'd like to work with this guy in the future here.
1: Yeah, he was right. Cause that whole th- thing worked out very well.
0: Yeah. Um, and again, we get the styles clash to set up the possible AJ Styles feud in the future. Um, Oh, the other thing I noticed, this is probably the most women I've ever seen do the, uh, put tr- money in Trent acids pouch. Like for all those people that do the cliche of women don't come to these hip indie shows. You're usually honest, but on- tr- usually right. But there I was surprised by the number of women that put money into his underwear or tights this time. Okay, but you
1: know, okay, wait a little, but is it possible that's just because normally on those ROH DVDs they cut out part of the entrance, and this time, because it's a double, they showed the entire thing?
0: It's possible, and, and also I wanted to say, I feel bad for, I was going to say, that Mary-Kate, the ringside photographer, because after he does all this, you can see Trent reach into his tights and keep pulling out money and just throwing it on the mat for Mary-Kate to have to like gather up. And I felt like... Oh, yeah. well, oh what a, that's not
1: her job, man. Like, what if she gets to keep it though?
0: Well, even you know, at that point, like, how much money would you? This is a good question for the home view, listener. How much crotch money would you need to get to be able to touch crotch money? Like, <laughs> do, like, is twenty bucks enough to get money that like, like, I'm not, Matt. I'm not touching a dime that was snuggled up against the guy's nether regions. Like, a dime isn't enough. I don't know where the <laughs> line is, but I don't want your sweaty crotch money unless it's. Twenty-five dollars, at least. Okay, so you so you're you have a twenty-five dollar crotch money minimum. Yes.
1: Does it does the whoever's crotch it is make a difference though?
0: Um. No, I I think I'm pretty. Like,
1: okay. what if it like what if it was touching the big Velbowski? <laughs> <laughs> so that's I'd probably that's, that's that's blessed crotch money right there. <laughs>
0: I'd probably be too busy having like a very aggravating political conversation with him, judging by recent news. But
1: okay, but Batista's—he has good politics.
0: Well, well, then I'd be—I I would put that on eBay. I'd be like, this twenty was against Batista's legendary hog, and I would probably turn that twenty into like a two hundred. Yeah, so. but you still have, would have to touch it. That would be worth it, but I don't also have to get him to sign like a certificate of authenticity to really get that eBay money going good.
1: Would he sign yeah. it? Would he sign it with it? Never mind.
0: <laughs> um, The only thing to mention is to t- t- just to I-, I love, again, how punk kind of undercuts Gabe's really, you know, Gabe is selling that cult thing that Colt could be dead, and Punk goes to like, "I have an update on Cabana. He's shaken up, but he's okay. He's fought. He fought. Fell on some skateboarders that were trying to watch the show for free." <laughs> I just love just the di- just the difference between Gabe, who's like, "Oh my God, Colt could be dead," and Punk being like, "Yeah, he, he fell on some skateboarders. He's okay."
1: I I, lo- I also just love that Punk whenever he says something funny, like one time during the show, he was like, "Aren't I more fun than Mark Nolte?" <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, yeah, Mark Nolte's jokes are less funny than CM Punk's, I will admit.
0: Yeah, again, that that might just be him trying to do... He's very much aping, like you said earlier, uh, Jesse Ventura. You can really hear a, a super big Jesse Ventura influence on punk and commentary in this era. And definitely,
1: but, some, definitely some Heenan also. I mean, yeah. like all of us, if we were all going to be... Like, if everybody our age was going to be a color commentator, we would all try to be Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan, right? I
0: I think the difference is, like, Heaton was more of the buffoon who would let the the play-by-play guy kind of get one over on him, so to speak. Like, he would let himself be the butt of the joke a lot. Yes. Where Punk's not a big fan, I think, of letting him, like, be proven wrong or the butt of the joke. That's true. That, that, that's the one thing where where the the relationship Jesse had with Gorilla would be more like Jesse would point out things that, even as a kid, I'd be like, maybe you shouldn't be pointing that out because that actually is true. Like, like why can the baby-faced Gorilla get, get away with this when the heel can't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and gorilla would and, and punk kinda does that sometimes I notice where yes. you'll be like
1: But but anyway. Where Punk where Punk injects logic where logic actually undermines the story they're trying to tell, yes.
0: Yeah, where Heenan was was always about like I'm gonna say things that are so ridiculous, you know I'm wrong. Like the the gorilla's gonna get one over on me every time because I'm just gonna play the buffoon like way to the hilt.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the, the heenan the heenan influence is more in like the jokes that punk tells.
0: Yeah, the idea that you can be real funny, you know, crack-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the semi-main event from a match standpoint, although I guess the semi-main event technically in a weird way is a non-wrestling segment. But that brings us to the Ring of Honor pure title tournament final match to crown the new champion. Doug Williams defeated Alex Shelley via submission in 1921 when he used what I would describe, I guess, as like a rope-assisted hammerlock with a choke thrown in there. Um... Matt, I think this, I think this is no contest, easily the best match on the show. I would not put this as like on the level of a great, you've got to go out of your way to see this match. I would say it's just the one step below. I'd say it's like, you know, a three and three quarter star if I had to give it or something like that, or maybe bordering on four stars, but like very good, just, and, um, yeah, a really enjoyable match. They do the pure rules for this. In the, in the two four-ways, they didn't do the pure rules, and I can understand that because, like, counting rope breaks among four people would be a nightmare. But it is kind of funny to note that we've now had this year two pure title tournaments, and between those tournaments, we've had a combined two matches with the pure rules because only the finals in each tournament actually had the rules.
1: Right. The other matches that had the rules were, like, random matches before that to, like, show people what the rules were.
0: Yeah. So yeah. again, it'd be one of those weird things. Like imagine the King of the Death match tournament being like every match with the finals was a straight up technical wrestling match. I mean, that's kind of what these tournaments have ended up being.
1: Gabe, but- was, Gabe was so committed to this rope breaks thing. He was like, no, we're going to get the rope break thing. We're going to make it happen. Like he kept like, you know, after it failed the first time, like he was just like, no, we need the rope break thing. Like I, I, I kind of admire it. Like he just really wanted a title with those rope break rules.
0: And it's crazy that they're bringing back the pure title, apparently. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, um,
1: I mean, you know what? Why the fuck not?
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's I just it's weird. Like it, it, people have nostalgia from the era of Ring of Honor that comes from, but does anyone actually have nostalgia for the pure title? Like, is anyone out there pumping their fist and going, "Finally, the rope breaks our back, baby!" Like, I possibly, possibly, Gabe Sapolsky. Maybe. Gabe? Gabe, what do you say? I think mean, Gabe got it. I didn't even think Gabe – I mean, Gabe got rid of his own belt. but uh, Yeah, but it's been for 14 years. <laughs> um, so I would say this is a tale of two matches. I would say the both halves are good, but I I think the second half is where it gets really good. The first half of this match is what I would almost describe as basically a technical wrestling spot fest where Shelly comes into this match, we should note um, – selling his arm being hurt from the pri- his prior match on the night and both guys just trade really cool innovative you know submissions back and forth for like the first half of this match and they don't really build tell a story in the first 10 minutes and even though shelly's selling his arm um williams goes to it a little bit but he doesn't really doggedly stay on it and it just feels like i said like kind of like a submission spot fest where it's just about we're not going to struggle in these submissions for a long time. They don't even do a rope break for the segment of the match. And they, it's just more about you do something cool on the mat. I'll do something cool on the mat. And it's entertaining. But at that point, I felt like a little something was missing. And I also felt like I, I had forgotten like halfway into this match that it was a pure title match because they had done no count out teases, nose closed, punch fist punch things, which is are not allowed and no rope breaks. So at that point. The first half of this match could have just been a regular wrestling match, but then the second half, uh, Doug Williams grabs Shelly and he throws him really hard by the arm, like into the turnbuckle, and I believe one of the commentators even says something like, "The feeling out process is over," and from that point, it get it becomes way more of a standard indie match with a few submissions sprinkled in as opposed to the first half, which was like nothing but on the mat and submissions and both guys pick a body part. They really focus on it. So at this point, Williams is now really focused on Shelly's arm. Shelly works over the neck. He does some really cool moves on the neck and, uh, it just builds and builds. And it's just a really good match. I really liked, uh, Shelly selling of his arm where sometimes when a guy is selling a limb, it's like, they'll do a move. And then like, Ten seconds later, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, I should sell my arm or leg and go ow." But like, I like Shelly. Every time he did a move to William's neck, he sold his arm immediately, like right afterwards, like "ow shit, it hurt to do that." And at one after one move he did, he actually like let out a yelp right afterwards, like "ow fuck, I hurt my arm really bad doing this move to hurt your your neck." And I just thought, just y- you really see just the standard quality of both these guys. Like we're fan- we're big fans of um. Doug Williams. I thought Doug Williams looked really good here. And I I think you forget sometimes how a good he is at showing aggression. Sometimes you just think of him as, oh, he's the, uh, the British got technical wrestling guy, but you forget he's a big beefy guy that really can come off as a scary guy too. And I also loved even just stuff like Doug Williams does his big bomb scare, flying knee drop and, and a jumping knee. And both times, normally that would just hit like the body, but he makes sure to hit the arm on both those moves. And I love stuff like that where people change their signature moves to focus on a body part. Like it just shows their their heads really in the match. And yeah, just a a really good match. I guess my one, one complaint though would be, I didn't feel like the pure rules really added anything to it. It didn't really take away from the match, but Shelly doesn't y- uses all three rope breaks. Doug Williams doesn't use one. Like I said before, no one uses a rope break till the middle of this long match. Um, there's no count out teases. At one point, Shelly bails to the outside and the ref counts for like a few seconds and he just walks back in. That's the only count out tease. And I think Shelly uses one close fist punch and the ref warns him and that's it. And it's one of those things where I don't think the pure title rules usually take away from matches, but I think the problem is there's rarely a match other than maybe some of the Nigel McGuinness matches of his heel run where I feel like they make the match better. Like, I, I, I never... Like, I don't watch this match and go, wow, this match was better than it would have been thanks to those pure title rules. I just... But still, for me, this is the match of the night. Like, did you agree that this was the match of the night?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit more forgiving of the pure title stuff than you are. Um, I have a soft spot because, like, the era when I was going to ROH the most, they still had the pure title. There were some interesting matches. I don't think it necessarily makes the matches better, but it does make the matches different. Like, I think one thing it did in this match is it made clear that Doug was winning the match. You know what I mean? Like, he got Shelly to use his rope breaks. Shelly didn't. So it's like, that creates that dynamic where Doug was like in the lead and held the lead, you know, which is not something that you could normally get in a regular pro wrestling match. You know, it's sort of like whoever does most offense, I guess, but the offense was back and forth, but Doug was like ahead on points. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Like, like in normal matches, especially these days, the momentum can switch from move to move, but if you're down on rope breaks, like three to none, yeah, there, there's a score to it that there isn't in most wrestling other than maybe like an Iron Man match or a two out of three falls match.
1: Exactly. Um, one thing I love about ROH during this era is the fact that you could have a guy like Doug Williams who's not there most of the time, but he'll come in, be put in a major match, and be completely accepted. You know, a lot of promotions you don't really get that. Certainly not in WWE where a guy just comes in, he's in a title match, and people take it totally seriously that he could win. Um So that's one thing I like. They just appreciate him because they know he's good. Um, And I'll always love that about ROH. Um, The early part, like you said, it was good, but I thought, you know, all of Doug's escapes and stuff were good, but it probably did go on a little too long. Um, At one point, Williams like ties Shelly up in like a ball. And um, that's the... the, there's going to be another match where a guy does a thing where he's going to be like rolled up like a ball, and like mm-hmm. it's it's just interesting because also after he lo- rolled Shelly up like a ball, he didn't do anything, like he just put him in there and then just like left kept him there and like and like walked around and like pointed at him, and it was like I don't is I don't know if this is effective wrestling.
0: Um, it was simply to emasculate him, yeah. and not to actually gain an advantage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought that
1: was kind of strange, but like, yeah, once it got going and they did the rope breaks, I thought it was really cool. You know, I liked the different ways that they did it because, you know, um, Williams was working on the arm and, um, and so he, uh, so Doug, Doug you know, cause it was already hurt in the previous match and that immediately forced Shelly to go for a rope break. Um, then he got like a, almost like a Fujiwara style arm bar and Shelly used his, his next rope break and, um. Let's see where did he do this? Th- oh yes, um, where Doug he hit the uh, the bomb scare and does like it was like a a bridging like hammerlock almost and Shelly like he broke it but then with an eye rake but then he gets it on again and he uses the final rope rake and, I, and then he does like a lifting hammerlock followed by a Fujiwara armbar and you thought like of course that's it but he actually escapes into the border city stretch I like that whole sequence um, also Punk being mean on commentary calls he goes. He says, I wonder how far along Todd Sinclair is. Is he the first pregnant man in the history of the world? Yes. Yeah, so um, – but yeah, I thought the match – yeah, like you said, it was very good. It didn't quite to me get to great level just because it didn't have quite as much drama down the stretch. But it was very well worked, very good. The one question I actually have is um, – do you think they should have just put the belt on Shelly here? Like was, yeah. there, was there anything gained by having Doug Williams have a, this, this few-month title reign?
0: Especially knowing what we, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that it's not like Doug has a very long storied run with the title. Like Shelly could have really, I think, used it at this point. Like Generation X could have used a big, having one of the titles. You know, there's three titles now. They could have used one, especially since they're going into a feud with Punk. Like it makes perfect sense where they just started a feud with Punk earlier on the show. Well, you can have Shelly say, I've got a title, and soon you won't have a title because they're going to lose to the Rottweilers, the tag belts. But, yeah, it just – yeah, I, I don't get why they – I'd be interested. The only thing I can think of why they picked Doug is maybe they felt like after AJ left, right after getting the pure title, they needed someone that was had a bit more star power maybe. And you know, Doug right, yeah. was kind of always the the big random attraction. Yeah, credibility. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, I, I could see that, but I, but I but I do think that Shelley was probably the would have been the better choice at the time,
0: especially because Doug they were not able to book him because he's a UK guy. They isn't like it is nowadays where some indies fly you know imports in on every show. Ring of Honor was not able to fly Doug Williams in for every single show. So
1: no, in fact, I think Doug would not be at very many more shows at all. Uh,
0: yeah. In two thousand and four. Yeah. Um. I just going over there's some a few other things I just want to mention because there's a lot of little things in this match that I think made it good that I liked. I just thought their work was you know, there's all these little moments. There's one thing I liked, which was I think Alex Shelley, even though he was trying to play the kind of cool, like heel, modern, you know, cutting edge stable leader heel here, I think Shelley always kind of missed his calling as a really good kind of comedy buffoon heel because he's really good at like selling really over the top, like getting his come comeuppance moments like there's a moment in this match where Williams does this move it's hard to describe but if you've watched him you've seen him do this where someone has like Williams in a hold and uh Williams brings his his like foot up and catches the guy's arms that are applying the hold and just kind of uses his weight to bring the guy into a headlock and so it takes a few seconds and so Williams is doing this match and as he's slowly pulling um Shelley into this headlock, you can hear Alex Shelley yell in like this defeated sound. He goes, Hey, stop doing that! Like, as he's getting put into the headlock, like, he's powerless to just let go and stop it. And it's that kind of stuff where he's such he, he's, he actually has like a bit of a hidden ham in him where he's really good at goofy stuff like that. Um, there's a super kick Alex Shelley hits in this match that just looks great. I don't know if it was just the camera angle or if he really got, like, great connection on it. But it just looks like he just kills Williams on it. Um, I really liked the work Shelley – the moves Shelley did to work over the neck I thought looked good. He, uh, he does – like a curb stomp to Doug Williams, but it's with Doug Williams not lying on the mat. Doug Williams is just doubled over standing on his feet. And then Shelly takes a running start and just curb stomps him to the mat, which looked really great. Um, what else? Uh, that's most of it. Oh, and he also at one point does just a million knee drops to the back of Williams head and neck. And I thought that was one of those things again, when I'm talking about why the pure rules seem arbitrary to me sometimes is Because one of the three pure rules is no closed fist attacks. Shelly gets warned here for um, no fist drop yet in the same match. He can like drop like 10 straight knees to the back of a guy's head and that's perfectly okay. And to me, that's one of those examples where then the pure rules just feel so arbitrary, like, well, punching a guy in the head, that's not good pure technical wrestling, but kneeing a guy in the head 10 times that's that's pure wrestling baby
1: yeah i mean i think i think you just gotta ignore the pure wrestling aspect of the name because it makes no sense
0: i mean the other two rules in a way make sense if you except for the fact that as we talked about early in the year, the pure rules, Gabe would would say it's not about technical wrestling. Some people think it's about technical wrestling. It's about competition at its purest. I feel like the pure rules do kind of make sense. If you think it's just about technical wrestling, because the three rope breaks make sense because it's about keeping the match in the center of the ring, you know, grappling on the mat and not getting to the ropes. And likewise, the counts make sense because it's about keeping the match in the ring and not a brawl on the outside. But like the idea that, No fist drops, but you can still throw drop kicks, knees, clotheslines. Like, that's the one rule that just feels like a little arbitrary, especially that one. But anyway, still match of the night. I think we both agree very good. Not quite great, but best in-ring match of the night. That brings us to Gary. By, oh, and and of, by, by oh. the way,
1: um, if Punk really wanted to be a Jesse Ventura type heel, he would say the stuff that Jesse Ventura would say back in like the 80s where if some if someone got to the ropes, Jesse would be like, that's the coward's way out of the move. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, um so after the match, uh, Oh, up next is the next segment. Actually, we get Gary Michael Capetta making his way to the ring and he gets a few boos, which is funny uh, to host what is built as the final confrontation between Ricky Steamboat and CM Punk, because you see since Steamboat wasn't wrestling, we couldn't say it's a match, but we're selling it as the final confrontation. Um, Gary recaps that Punk recreated the classic ring bell attack on Steamboat that that Macho Man Randy Savage did to him. He did that back in the last Philly Ring of Honor show. Gary introduces each guy. They get their own standard ring music. So punk gets his lengthy introduction where his music really plays out long. And then, but then when Gary introduces steamboat steamboats, music hits and he just runs to the ring, you know, just selling you that he's furious with punk after what he did to him on their last meeting, he starts brawling with punk in the ring and at first Steamboat actually gets the better of Punk and he lands a 12 count of punches in the corner on him. The crowd chants along. They fight back and forth a bit until Punk is able to pile drive Steamboat to a big chorus of boos and a few cheers. And then at that point Punk is really getting getting control. Punk then tries to hit Steamboat with the ring bell again from the top rope. But this time Ricky cuts him off. He slams him from the top turnbuckle and then he takes control. He beats down Punk a bit and then he grabs the mic and the ring bell. Uh, Ricky still keeps calling punk CM on the show, which he's on another show, which I love. He's the only person in the world that just goes, well, CM, but anyway, uh, Steamboat talks about how punk's attitude is awful, but he does have talent. He says, if you keep up this bad attitude, this 50 something year old man will keep kicking your ass. And then Steamboat is basically like, he really implores him, like, just change your ways. And then he asks, what choice are you going to make punk? Like, are you going to? you know, shape up or or are we going to just keep fighting like this forever? And then all four members of Generation Next come in and beat down Steamboat. At this point, Punk recovers. He grabs the mic and laughs maniacally. He says... Punk just seconds, or Punk says, just seconds earlier, Steamboat was standing over me, and now I'm standing over you. He, Punk, te- kind of teases joining Generation Next, where he says, I'm part of a new generation of talent. He then says, Steamboat was right, though, that Punk has a choice. He can continue his ways or be the man that Steamboat believes he could be. Punk pauses, and then he says, I'm going to be that man. And he attacks Generation Next. He gets a big pop for that. This is the big. CM Punk official babyface turn. Uh, Generation Next, though, gains the advantage because they have the numbers four on one. But then Steamboat recovers. He makes the save. The two of them take on Generation Next. They take him out. Uh, Punk even whips Roderick Strong into a Steamboat chop. So a little bit of teamwork. We get a C- big CM Punk chant after that, followed by a big chant for Steamboat. And then the two men stand in the ring and stare at each other for a while. Ricky offers out an outstretched fist. Punk replies, and they do a fist bump before Ricky leaves the ring and gives the ring, you know, in a very classy move to a uh, Punk, and he gets he even encourages the crowd to chant for Punk and give him another round of applause. And yeah, Matt, I, in my opinion, this went about as well as it could have gone. You know, just a a predictable but very classic end to an angle where the heel, the the veteran, and the and the he, and the younger guy. They put things aside because they've, they've learned to respect each other over all their battles.
1: Yeah, perfect. Just like, uh, you know, one, a, gra- a great famous ROH angle. Um, you know, Punk finally turns face. It was a long time coming. Um, it worked. You know, you don't really get too many nowadays. You don't really get too many, like, true face turns. And I think that was true even then. You know, you get heel turns. But you don't get, like, really big moments where somebody uh, turns babyface and... And I think that Punk's uh, you know, turn is one of the more memorable ones. And um, the only thing I have to even make fun of about this is when Steamboat is standing over Punk and he goes, this is supposed to be the final confrontation. And he goes, if you keep this attitude going, I'll continue to kick your ass. And it's like, yeah, but I thought this was the final confrontation. So you can't. You can't <laughs> kick his ass anymore. But no, I mean, you know, they Generation Next, you know, they are perfectly positioned to be a part of this because they've been built up the past few shows and on this show as being, you know, big time heels. It gets them over. It gets punk over the crowd reacted perfectly. You know, Steamboat played his role. Great. I thought this was fantastic.
0: Yeah. And it's also great because we know that in two shows, they're going to end the Moth and Whitmer and second city saints feud. So Gabe's already starting punk's next big feud before the other one even ends. So he's got really nicely well lined up here. Um, and that brings us to the six-man tag team match main event. Samoa Joe and the Briscoes defeated the Rottweilers of Homicide, Ricky Reyes, and Rocky Romero with Julius Smokes by disqualification in 32 minutes, 30 seconds, when Homicide threw a fireball that hit Mark Briscoe in the face. It did not go. I have some notes on that later we can talk about. It. Of course, huge angle after the match. But Matt, uh, Joe said this was going to be the biggest six-man tag in Ring of Honor history, and it just this biggest war did you think it lived up to joe's hype at the start of the show
1: well it was uh, one of the longest wars um no seriously it was a very long match um in some ways it was very very good like there were things about it they kept the match moving the whole time you know there's a lot of big moves um you know different segments and stuff um my knock on the match is it is too long Um, They take too long to get into the heat segment, which is basically the Rottweilers beating on Jay Briscoe. There's just too much time early on where they're just like kind of going back and forth, back and forth, showing off their stuff, and that's good. But I think maybe if they cut that by like three or four minutes, it would have been a little better. Um, But there's a lot of big moves here. Um, Some good commentary too. I definitely enjoyed um, Punk saying that uh, the briscoes they were born in a tree it was the ugly tree and they hit all the branches on the way down but i have to say i think we can both agree they they have matured into ruggedly handsome gentlemen wouldn't you say
0: um yeah, definitely. they're they're already get, i think once i think once they come back on their next ring of honor run that's when they're like oh you're you're a bit of a snack Jay and mark but like yeah yeah at this-
1: they're, they're they're kind of in their yeah. awkward late teen stage still twenty but nineteen they're, twenty.
0: They're, they're kind of getting out of it. Like they're they're definitely more handsome than they were like in the early Ring of Honor. Yes, de- like definitely, adults. definitely. Um, Punk also
1: talks about Ricky Noon, the legend of Ricky Noon, that where they talk about on other shoot interviews. But basically, he says that Ricky Reyes is a salsa musician in Cuba called Ricky Noon, and he has a top selling album called "I'm Too Drunk to Remember My Real Name." Um, so that's, uh, some CM Punk highlight, um of commentaries uh, or commentary highlights so as far as the rolling up in a ball um so rocky romero does this thing where he like basically gets in a ball and sticks out his arm like like outside the ball and the baby faces well jay in particular is just completely befuddled by what to do with this he doesn't know what and cm punk is on commentary just being like kick him just kick him and jay is just standing there looking like an idiot until he like gets so frustrated that he actually tags out and then mark is also confused but he's convinced by homicide to actually grab Ricky's hand I mean not, uh Rocky's hand and Rocky gets him into an arm bar. So it makes the baby faces look totally stupid. Until Joe gets in and Rocky and Rocky tries to do it again, and Joe of course being the champion just rolls him over and kicks him repeatedly in the head. So he is not stupid. But I, I, I don't know. I was like what like as a, as, I think that's a good babyface spot, but I don't think it's a good he- spot for a heel to do against babyfaces, especially if they're going to fall for it. I don't know. Do you agree with that?
0: Well, it's also the kind of spot where it it quickly it, – it's such a memorable spot that you can only kind of do it in a company I think once or twice because after that, every wrestler looks like, do you not pay attention to the, what's going on in the place you're working? Yeah. Like y- you can't do it indefinitely. Like honestly, this should have been the first and last time You know, in a way in Ring of Honor for this spot because – yeah, once Joe figures it out, it's like, everyone should know, don't grab this guy's hand. And Punk
1: figured it out before anybody did. Because um, obviously that's what you do. Um But then, like, the match kind of uh goes into actually the faces getting the heat on Reyes. Uh, even to a point where Joe knocks Romero and Homicide off the apron so they could beat on Reyes some more. But... um but when Homicide tags in, they start beating on Jay's neck, and that's where they kind of get oh, take over the heat, including a point where Homicide hits like a Randy Orton style draping DDT, like, but it's like a spike DDT right on the oh, top yeah. of Jay's head that literally makes Punk scream in horror.
0: Like, he's Punk like, and Gabe both in unison are like, "Oh!" Like, like that's another one of those moments like that Jimmy Ravney where you can tell like it, the the commentary part of their job leaves, I and mean, it's like a legit reaction.
1: Yeah. And and I think this is probably one of the better parts of the match where they're working on Jay. Like they uh, homicide and Reyes, like get Jay on the ground and like drag him and crotch him on the uh, ring post. And then Rocky does a basement dropkick to Jay's head. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, and th- they're working on him for a long time. Until uh, Jay hits a Yakuza kick and Joe gets the hot tag. And this is a really good hot tag. Joe destroys everyone. Mark hits like a flippy dive, but he lands on Jay. Then Joe throws Rocky over the top onto the Briscoes. So the Briscoes are really getting it on the floor. Um, Homicide and Joe like headbutt each other. And then Joe does his own twisty dive to the outside. Then everyone thinks Homicide is going to do the con Hilo, but instead he flips off the crowd. Which I think is a pretty good heel move. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so... Oh we didn't even mention at the start of the match. I forgot to say this. They start off the match with um, the Rottweilers attacking the Brist, uh, the Briscoes and Joe like at, during the introductions. and then Joe immediately tries to do a oleo ole lay kick on smokes. so homicide cuts him off. so Joe throws homicide onto smokes, then does the oleo ole lay kick onto smokes and smokes for everything you could say about him, does the most ridiculous sell ever to the Oleo ole Lay kick, where he's like eyes wide open, almost like smiling and shaking, and it's like, I, I appreciate it, but also, do you really want to make the Oleo ole Lay kick a comedy spot? But I think Smokes was pretty much out of it for a while at that point.
0: Like he you know, does recover, he, I he, think later, but at first, yeah, he's taken out for a while. Yeah, I don't remember like hearing
1: much from him, and he's usually someone you hear from. Uh, but anyway, during this hot tag, um, the kind of. Um, Rocky tries to get an arm bar on Joe, but Mark hits a springboard drop kick, and then things settle down again, which I didn't expect. I thought they were going to go to the finish here, but things settle down. They kind of get the heat on Jay for a little while again. Reyes hits a fisherman's buster for two. Jay hits another Yakuza kick and tags Mark, and they actually hit the springboard doomsday device on Reyes, and it gets only two, which I was surprised by. Um, Mark goes for a shooting star press. And have you ever seen WrestleMania 19? Um, because that is what happens here. Mark uh, goes for a shooting star press but lands on the back of his head. It is crazy. Um, like, and I, and I guess it's because
0: his boot was undone. And, man, it was really scary. I, I've got to ask you something. Do you think – is there an offhand chance that that's on purpose? Because remember, this happened – wasn't this when the Briscoes wrestled uh, Punk and Cabana when they lost the titles to them? didn't Mark also screw up the uh, shooting star press just like this, but it felt like this time he was really selling it goofy afterwards. Like on one hand, part of me feels like no one would be crazy enough to take that bump intentionally. But then part of me is like, if there was a person that would be that crazy, maybe it's Mark Briscoe.
1: Yes. I mean, is there any way to know that? Like, was that ever talked about? Because you'd think that if somebody intentionally landed on the top of his head from a shooting star press, that would be something that would be kind of legendary 15, 16 years later. Um, Has anyone ever
0: said that it was? Uh, I don't – not that I know of, but if it was another botch, it's pretty crazy that he had two – close calls like that in within a few months.
1: Well, keep in mind, he also lands on his head in a Shooting Star press in 2007 and really hurts himself extremely badly to the point where people were wondering if he was going to have to retire, if you remember that, where he does it one, onto the floor. Do you remember that? Oh, I, I forget that. Actually. I think it was, a, it was a match against maybe uh, Naruki Doi. And, oh, yeah,
0: now I remember. Yeah. I forget. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, was it Yoshino? I forget who his whose partner was. Um, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was really bad. So he has been known to do that. Um, I don't know, man. I hope it wasn't intentional. I, I mean, I don't, don't like it being an accident either, but I hope he didn't intentionally land on his head after a shooting star press. Cause I don't know. There's no way to do that safely. It's impossible, yeah. but it was really scary regardless. And he looked completely glazed over, but managed to keep doing his moves and he hit suplexes on homicide and Reyes and, um, and he, uh, and uh, Homicide does, like, a double underhook uh, off the top rope, and then a tiger driver, but Joe makes the save. Joe hits this, like, crazy DVD on—Death uh, Valley Driver on Homicide, and Romero breaks it up. And then Homicide goes to throw a fireball at Joe, but Mark pushes him out of the way, and it gets on Mark, and the fireball is in Mark's face and on the back of his head, and I don't even know what the hell's going on. But I did not—I I hadn't seen this match in a long time. I did not expect that finish. <laughs>
0: So I th- we'll get to the finish in a second. I thought I, I agree mostly with you. I think the match was good, but not it was too long yeah I, there, I, there it, were
1: there were there were great things about the match, but it just it just seemed aimless at different points.
0: It, it was aimless is a perfect word for this. like I feel like the median quality of these guys and what they were doing in the match was pretty good. but it just felt like it didn't really have much of a point. It, it felt like what it was, which is a kind of a a six-man match with no real stakes that's just in the middle of these two feuds, like the Briscoes feuding with the Rottweilers and Joe feuding with Homicide and the rest of the Rottweilers. And they almost like, you know, they're working it like they know it's going to end in a DQ finish and there's going to be a big angle because they didn't really have a ton of story. And it just felt like it started good and kind of never, in my mind, never really got got any better or worse. It just kind of had a hot start. And it, it was just guys... That are talented trading moves for a very long time, but not quite at the pace of a like a big spot fest where you go, oh, it's thrilling they did it for third. Just good steady work, and like you, I was shocked that they gave uh, Reyes the kickout of the Doomsday, the Springboard Doomsday device. I thought that's a pretty big kickout to give in a random like six man. Although it was the main event, I guess. Um, uh, I like the – I like Joe – the dive train where Joe d- didn't – like you mentioned, Joe doesn't do the elbow suicida and Mark May because he you knows he's doing the shooting star elsewhere. He does a completely different dive than he – because he normally does the shooting star to the floor. Uh, I like that Homicide took a cell phone call during the match presumably to do, sell you, the upcoming surprise.
1: Oh, yes, yes. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, just like randomly he's just on the phone and like obviously you, you figured out why later yeah. on but – it was getting very
0: 1994 Harlem heat on the phone with sensational Sherry vibes from this. Um, so. Punk did also, did you notice Punk on commentary did something that we used to we would rail on Gabe for, which is telegraph something because he has the knowledge. He goes at one point, I guarantee this match is going at least half an hour. Yes, like, yes.
1: That's an obnoxious thing to say.
0: Yeah, it's like, gee, Punk, how do you know that? Because you looking at like, the timestamp stamp on the video you're calling right now. <laughs> but uh, I agree with you that DDT was just insane, the highlight of the match probably. Um, I could actually, I think one of my problems also with this match, other than it being a little bit aimless or a lot aimless, is I would have liked a bit more Joe and a lot more Homicide. I actually felt like for a big main event to a show, you know, Homicide and Joe are two of the best wrestlers in the match, and you get a, a significant amount of Joe, but for a 32-minute match, I could have done with a significant, significantly more Homicide and Joe in this match. But it was more of a rottweilers Briscoes match than I maybe would have wanted. But anyway, going to the Fireball, yeah, I kind of forgot this finish too, and I forgot that, like, For those who haven't watched it, there's a really awkward camera cut to a really weird angle where it almost looks like Mark Briscoe is lunging into the path of the fireball that is aimed at at, uh, Joe. And we get some word on maybe why the awkward camera angle happened going to the observer um, Dave wrote from a live report, homicide went to throw fire at Joe who moved and it was supposed to hit Jay Briscoe. Now Dave clearly got that wrong. Cause I think it was supposed to hit Mark cause it did. Uh, Dave writes, apparently it missed him as well, but he had to sell it for the angle. And then, um, so yeah, uh, apparently that's was probably why that camera angle was so awkward was maybe it didn't really hit him. And that was the best angle they could get
1: uh, makes sense i mean it, it did look like it was on him like but maybe it, like looked like more was on the
0: back of him as opposed to his face yeah either way the the camera angle i i think when you when you watch it you you go wow that's a weird camera angle something must have gone wrong but at the same time you don't really see anything going wrong like you're just you just know oh that's a weird camera angle They must have chosen it for a reason, but you don't see anything with like I can believe just on that camera. Oh, it hit Mark Briscoe and he immediately that's a DQ Jay immediately takes Mark to the back. You know, Mark is holding his face. They're acting like it's super serious. Um, Homicide takes out ref Hansen out of anger for the DQ. The Rottweilers start to beat down Joe until Jay comes back with a steel chair, and I actually like that in a weird way uh, because that's like a common sense thing that you normally don't see in wrestling where it's like Jay helps Mark to the back, but then he's like, I'm not going to forget what these assholes just did. Like once I get him safely to the back, I'm coming back for you guys, and he does. He comes back with a steel chair. He's able to make a comeback, but then he gets distracted by Julia Smokes, who's recovered from earlier. Uh, the Rottweilers regain control, and Homicide taunts Joe on the microphone, and he says no one's going to stop the Rottweilers until out of nowhere, low-key's music hits. That's right. Uh, Low-key comes out to a big chant. Low-key screams, he's back on commentary. Uh, Joe is really hurt. And he kind of crawls behind low key as low key stands in front of him. Joe then helps himself up to his feet using the ropes as low key just stares down the Rottweilers and, uh, he grabs the ring of honor title belt away from the Rottweilers and he gets into a standoff with them. Big welcome back chant for low key homicide. says, this is his time. And key disappeared. Uh, key snatches the mic away from homicide and says, after everything he's worked for, everything he's poured his heart and soul into how dare homicide disrespect him and the ring of honor title. Key says, no one will disrespect this title. And he pauses and then goes, except for me. And then he proceeds to turn around and smack Joe with the belt and beat on him. And you know, big crowd reaction, like, Holy shit. Key has joined the Rottweilers. He gets back on the mic. He says, the fans can cheer his name all he wants. All, all they want, but he's better than each and every one of them. Joe tries to fight back. And he has this really good emotion. Like he's hurt, but he's just so angry that this is happening. He screams that he's going to fucking kill them. But, He's still no match because, you know, they've got the numbers on their side. They beat him back down. Homicide tears down a Ring of Honor ring banner, and he brings it into the ring. As Key says, since he's been gone, Ring of Honor has been gone nowhere but down. He says, from the shoddy talent in the locker room. And then he says something that you can clearly see his lips moving, but you can't hear it. We'll get to that in a second. And you hear the crowd go, oh, shit. And then the audio magically comes back, and we hear Key say the company was going to the top before he left. And then he stands on top of Joe's prone body while he holds the ring of honor title. And he says, the champ is here. You know, Joe's big catchphrase, the Rottweilers pose on top of an unconscious Joe. They hold up the ring of honor banner as like a big photo opportunity. And Joe says, this is the new ring of honor. So pretty fantastic. This was the thing where I remember following this live 15 years ago or 16 now, maybe even, and being like, Holy shit. When I'm reading that this happened, like, like, Uh, it wasn't maybe necessarily in my mind that Key could never come back to ring of honor after the bad exit he had the year before. I mean, he did come back for that one match, the uh, second year anniversary four way where ring of honor apparently felt they needed something to get last minute ticket sales, but to have him come back like in a big angle where it's clear he's going to be part of the company for a while, just a crazy moment. And Matt, before I ask about you, I guess we'll give a little bit of background. The observer wrote at the time, the plans for now are to build the main events around the Rottweilers, and however long Low key stays is gravy. A lot of the wrestlers weren't unhappy he was brought back after his falling out over problems doing a job. At this point, there was no plan for the Joe versus low-key match that was hinted at by the angle. Um, and then if you're wondering what, why something was bleeped out, PW Insider has that. Well, not bleeped out, but just made silent. For those wondering, Loki's comment about Ring of Honor's boy-touching owner was something he said on the mic himself and not something that was booked. As you can imagine, nearly everyone involved in the company stopped and did a double-take when he when it was said. The comment will be edited off the videotape release of the show. Ring of Honor's management wasn't happy that the comment was made, but were otherwise thrilled with the reaction to Key's return. So, yes, that was the comment in the middle of this rant about how Ring of Honor had gone downhill – low key literally said they had a boy-touching owner. And yeah, probably at a time when you're in – probably having some agreement to not disparage Rob Feinstein as part of like the sale. Yeah, you definitely don't want that making DVD. But Matt, I mean what did you think? This was a pretty major angle in Ring of Honor history.
1: All-time classic angle. Like one of the best in the history of the company went off without a hitch I would say um, you know from the beatdown of Joe and Jay to the pop that Loki got coming out to the way like he the, you know the the drama when he was staring at them like the, the Rottweilers the welcome back chants the, the mic work um, the moment where he hit Joe with the belt it was fantastic um, couldn't have been any better and uh, it's really set the table for a the next year of ROH, uh, home run all around.
0: My one problem with this was, I so badly want to see Lowkey versus Samoa Joe again after this. And well, as yes. mentioned there, they never. It, it, it does the thing, you know. Vince McMahon has reportedly said this, although he's broken his own rule. But like, apparently in the past, he's gotten really mad about the idea of never build a match you can't deliver and.
1: Yeah. They really – at the end of this – <laughs> Cough Samoa Joe. Yeah. I mean cough uh, Steve Austin and CM Punk, but uh, – Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: But at the end of this night, you like desperately – in fact, I- I'll admit after this match, not only was this the match I wanted to see most in Ring of Honor, I thought Joe's going to lose the title and it's going to either be to CM Punk or Low Key. And I thought like there was a good chance Low Key would win the title back. Obviously, I wasn't really aware of how Gabe booked or stuff like that. But not only does that not – we don't get that result. We don't even get the match, which is just – Well, that's not the one thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't call that a problem with this particular exact angle. It was a problem with the longer-term booking of it. Like, uh, yeah, it's weird. I I don't know why they never pulled – I mean, everyone wanted to see that match for a really long time. I I, I, I guess they just couldn't get the two parties to agree on what would happen. I mean, it was sort of like um, – I guess Paul Heyman, you know, holding off Rob Van Dam winning the ECW title until it was too late, right? I guess, like, there was was part, but, like, and then, so maybe Gabe was just trying to hold off and hold off until the right moment, and the right moment never came? I don't know what it was, but it's disappointing.
0: Well, remember, Key left Ring of Honor in late 2003 when Gabe was going to build up to a blow final match for Key and the company. Well, not the final, actually, apparently, as we talked about at the time— Key was going to wrestle Homicide. He, he was going to end that feud and put over Homicide. And then they were going to have a couple more kind of farewell matches for Key that he would actually win. And Key, I guess, changed his mind like late that he did not want to lose to Homicide. He wanted like some kind of draw or something. And that's the falling out. So part of me just thinks maybe um, maybe Gabe just didn't trust like key ever again to put like if you notice he never gets a title ever again in the company he doesn't get you know the pure or even the tag titles um
1: it's true but he does put him in some important matches
0: he does but even matches though where i mean I, i'm again i'm not 100 percent sure of this theory but even if you re- go back to that thing i just read from the observer or i forget if that was the observer or the torch or whatever where they said something like anything they get from low key is gravy. Like the way they're talking, it's almost like, we don't know how long things are going to like, this relationship's going to last. So we're going to enjoy it while it's here, you know?
1: Yeah. And it ends, and it ends up with low key being there for, I don't know, a year and a half or longer. So
0: as far as relationships with low key go like that's a pretty good length. Yeah. Yeah. Another year and a half out of it. So, um, and another thing is, uh, one thing I thought was interesting, and I don't think they intended to do this, obviously, but it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> they were building in 2003, obviously, for a, a fair chunk of the year, the idea of this homicide-Key feud where they're, everyone knows they're good friends, and Key and homicide, you know, there's that trainer relationship, but the idea that – um you know, Homicide lost his big first world title match with Joe because he got distracted when Key and Smokes were arguing on the outside. And Key and Smokes kept arguing in 2003, and Homicide was caught in the middle. And eventually, Homicide started getting mad. At Key and was like, "You know, you've forgotten where you came from." You know, you're, you know, Key was mad because he thought they were acting like street thugs, and he was mad. And Homicide was like, "You forgot where you came from." And in, in a weird way, even though I don't think this was obviously this wasn't part of the plan, this angle is kind of like he admitting that homicide was right because he becomes a heel and he joins the thugs and joins smokes and you know in a weird way it does kind of tie up that angle without really intending to oh yeah absolutely it works on so many levels it's great yeah so i i I like that too where it's one of those things where it it even makes sense in a way that maybe it wasn't even initially intended to so um we cut to sugar sean price backstage he finds special k most of them who want to party but dixie and angel does say the party is over uh the rest of k disagrees and they get into a brief shoving match before dixie and angel dust leave uh, sean tells us that we'll be back next time with death before dishonor so that's the final little segment that ends the show um before we get into our comments i'm gonna go into a bit of couple other people's comments on the show first from the pro wrestling torch let's get gabe sapolsky's opinion um the torch wrote ring of honor booker gabe sapolsky thinks this past weekend's event in elizabeth new jersey was among the best ring of honor events to date quote it was definitely one of my favorite shows yet he tells the torch we took the reborn completion name very seriously and wanted to live up to that Ring of Honor has been in the process of reinventing itself over the past several months and all that ended last night as we are completely fresh up and down the roster. We've also fine we've also fine-tuned our in-ring style. The Ring of Honor product is now a very fun product for everyone to enjoy with the basis still being great wrestling. So Without tipping my hat, I will say I don't think this was one of the best shows Ring of Honor has done to date, but it is interesting the way he described the very. where he goes, the Ring of Honor product is now a very fun product. Like, was it not? For everyone, for everyone. <laughs> now everyone can enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and then finally, I go back to the Bruce Mitchell, the torch back at this era was doing roundtable reviews where everyone gave it a score out of 10 of these shows, and Bruce often I felt was kind of crotchy and not really – on the level of Ring of Honor, like he wasn't, I don't think, completely understood. He actually gave the show a 7 out of 10, which is not a bad score. And he, uh, I might even give it that, I don't know. Um, but he, first off, he starts with this really weird joke, Matt. This is how he starts his review. Ring of Honor Reborn, The Conception. Ring of Honor Reborn, The Lamaz Class. Ring of Honor Reborn, Midterm. Ring of Honor Reborn, The Completion. I look forward to their next release. Ring of Honor Reborn, The Placenta.
1: Man, okay. What the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> man? That that rascal. Well, I know what, that 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 classic satirist. Bruce I know Mitchell. when I think
0: of completion, I'm thinking about just I don't know. I think he's making fun of the reborn oh, part. Oh, the reborn. I guess. Yeah. It's just I don't know. Bruce, you're old. Uh, okay, boomer.
1: He was. So, I mean, how old was he? he? Was six? this was 16 years ago. He was probably the same age we are now.
0: Oh.
1: No, I don't th- I don't think that's true. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it is 16 years ago.
0: Um. So anyway, Bruce writes, Anyway, this is another good show. I don't really understand why every match has to be a six-man or an eight-man or a four-way, but the first eight-man was really good. Matt, there was not an eight-man tag on this entire show. <laughs> I don't know
1: what he's talking about. I think, oh, he said the first one, right? So I assume he, he met the first four-way and he just yeah. messed
0: up. Then he goes. The six man main event with Samoa Joe and the Briscoe brothers versus Homicide and the Rottweilers was almost as good as that first six man. And again, uh oh, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking? And he goes. The blow off of the Rick Steamboat CM Punk feud was smart, and the return of Low Key was too. Except that it was the exact same angle and should have been saved for six weeks later. Uh, okay,
1: it was. It was not the exact same exactly. angle. Exactly. Um, it was. I mean, it, they were both turns. I guess uh, in, in that case, that's there were two turns on the show. I guess you could argue that's too many, but it was not the exact
0: same angle. And then Bruce wrote, "I like this show. I like the product, but things like the silly cult cabana fall from twenty feet onto some skateboarders and homicides use of flash paper are out of context. Ring of Honor fans aren't Detroit Detroit chic marks. So I will say I think like this is the this review kind of encapsulates why I thought Bruce kind of missed the mark on Ring of Honor a lot, where it's just like." He kind of feels like he has his finger on the pulse of what Ring of Honor is and what their fans want and I don't think he really does. Like that angle everyone loved it. No one was going boo, flash paper. Like like I don't know what like th- that that low key angle was white hot. I just it's it's weird stuff to be like I don't think that's what Ring of Honor excels at. Well, it was the best part of the show.
1: <laughs> yeah. But one and- of the be- one of the best angles they ever did.
0: Yeah, um, Matt, this is so, how do you feel like, it's weird from a in-ring standpoint, it's not far from the best show they've ever done, but this show is about, I feel like, so much more than in-ring, so how do you think, it, how, how does it all add up to you?
1: Yeah, if, if you want to look at it from Gabe Sapolsky's perspective as the booker and say this is one of the best shows they ever did, I wouldn't hold him that, I wouldn't begrudge him that statement, like, He just he did a bunch of major angles on this show that worked like a charm, and with the benefit of hindsight, it's almost even better. You know, CM Punk had a really good babyface run. The Rottweilers were a great stable for that year. Um, This was like this really was the rebirth of ROH. So yeah, from an in-ring standpoint, I would say the show was below ROH's standard. Um, But from a booking standpoint, this was a home run all all the way around. Like you know, there was some not so great stuff. I didn't love the the Carnage Crew stuff, but you know that was sort of like finishing off some bad booking from before um you know all the big new stuff including by the way jimmy rave's return and return um you know all paid dividends down the line so a lot of big angles that worked really well that were memorable um you know getting all the players into the right position i thought this the booking was fantastic on this show so i if if you want to say it's one of the best shows that you ever did gabe at that point go ahead i'll I'll give it to you
0: yeah it's uh it's funny um one of my uh, discoveries watch, rewatching Ring of Honor 2004 with you is there's been multiple shows this year where I felt like I, I always have kind of like two minds when I watch these shows where I'm revealing it from my standpoint, which is someone that, you know, was along for the ride for a lot of Ring of Honor to begin with and is, has, is rewatching these shows, not watching them for the first time in most cases. And so and I'm watching them all in chronological order. And so from that perspective, this was a fantastic show, in my opinion. But there's also a few shows this year where I know if you don't have all that context, if you're just a person getting it blind that wasn't around for the era, doesn't really deeply know the storylines and characters, some of these things aren't going to be as impressive to you. Like, I don't think this, the low-key thing is as cool. It's, I think it's still cool, but I don't think it's, it's as cool if you haven't been following along. And so this is another one of those shows. I think they've had a few this year where it's way better if you've been watching the product every show. And I agree with you. Like I thought the last show, I really liked Gabe's booking. And I feel like this is an era, we're we're entering a period right here where Gabe's booking, this is really, I think, him at his sharpest. There's so many good angles up and down the card and good character moments and things that just feel like they're happening. But I think especially one thing I noticed on this show is Gabe has got a really nice balance at this point where on most shows, like, there's always something starting, there's always something ending, and there's always things in the middle. Like, you get a nice blend of everything. Where, you know, like something like the pure title thing, finally we get a new champ and the current crew storyline ends. Not that that's was really looked forward to. And then you've got things like the prophecy second city saints feud is in the middle, but it's almost over. And then you got stuff like, you know, the special K breakup is continuing and the hydro thing, you know, reaches a new level with the J lethal name coming back. And, you know, there's all sorts of things at the beginning, middle, and end, up and down the card, and it just, it makes it a really fun, it, it makes you excited to see the next show, because it feels like everything's always progressing.
1: Yeah, I would agree with all that. It's definitely a, a golden era for ROH booking, and it's remembered as such, and it is, so.
0: And so, that actually brings us to the end of the show. And before we plug how that era progresses into our next episode, we should just plug ourselves so i'm if you want to follow us on twitter i'm at trevor dame on twitter d-a-m as in mother e matt is at mayor mgf uh we have through the years at gmail.com through spelled t-h-r-o-h and we're also have a thread on the pro wrestling only message board in the plug section if you want to comment there and I also have a really stupid Patreon that is completely not related to this that you don't have to subscribe to. But if you like really bad writing about, and dumb jokes about really weird Impact Wrestling fans, that is www.patreon.com slash Mecca Mecca. That's M-E-C-C-A twice in a row. And again, to remind you, Matt is on the on the recent episode of the Pro Wrestling Super Show. He on the Voices of Wrestling Network. He's on the last episode of the Five Star Match Game. So, if you want more Matt Feuerstein in your life, and who doesn't, you're only listening to one of three possible podcasts in the last month that you could be getting from that. You got two more chances to get get them this month alone.
1: And again, these people don't exist. But thank you.
0: <laughs> oh come on! So next time we will be covering Death Before Dishonor Two Part One. The slightly confusing name because they turned the second Death Before Dishonor into a double shot. We're going to get Homicide versus Samoa Joe one more time in the blowoff of their singles feud for this time period at least. We're getting CM Punk and Colt Cabana defending the Tagged House versus the Briscoes one more time in the blowoff to that in a two out of three falls match. Uh, Alex Shelley gets an immediate rematch against Doug um doug williams in what was we agreed was the best match on this card plus low keys return to ring of honor in the ring just a lot of stuff really good looking double shot coming up
1: yeah very good looking i'm I'm raising my i'm raising my eyebrows
0: (laughs) and uh yeah that'll be it so matt do you have anything else to say no uh,
1: thanks everybody for listening uh We're going to try to be back a little faster this time. The next show is shorter, so it it seems more doable. So we will try. Um, March is coming soon. It's coming in like a lion, and it's going to come out like through the years.
0: (laughs) And until next time, (laughs) have a good time. Have a great time.